Welcome to the seventh episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast by DiabetesDayTheGrind.com. Kelly McKeever, certified diabetes educator, technology aficionado, and a guy with type 1 diabetes, joins us today. Yay. A little thing called diabetes, it's a daily grind, it's a daily grind, and a grind, and grind, and grind. Welcome back. I'm Ryan Fightmaster, co-founder of the DDG. Can't believe this is actually podcast number seven. Me either. It's nuts. It's been a heck of a journey. We're pretty pumped about today's show with Kelly McKeever. He's, he's awesome. We covered some, some pretty deep diabetic topics, and we got into some things today. Prepare yourself. I mean, we, we journeyed into some dreams. We talked diabetes dreams. We talked technology. Goals. Goals. Differences. Vision, everything. It is, it is a beast of a podcast. So for those of you who like to hop on a bike for two hours, this is <laughs> your show. This is perfect We're for you. hoping it'll be under one hour and 40 minutes. I'd Good Maybe, luck. Perhaps. Yeah. We'll see. But our goal in every show is to inspire people to live out their best, most authentic diabetes life. So we bring on diabetes professionals, brewers, musicians, type twos, type ones, and anyone who has a message that we think we need to hear. So our guest today, Kelly, he delivers on that, no doubt. So before we hop into the show, we're going to get to some things pretty quick. First, have to stay tuned for the iTunes review of the week at the end of the show. Whoever wins gets the sleek uber fashion forward diabetes daily grind t-shirt <laughs> that is still in production and maybe a book or two you never know you never know we, we do have some books to send yeah. out you're right and second drop us a few questions for the podcast it's simple and helps us start up a Q&A for each show on the DDG homepage look for the blue button on the right side click it record your question we'll answer it no matter what it is it can be anything right only if they don't ask my pants size I'm okay <laughs> <laughs> deal deal and third all of those Amazon purchases mean a ton. Click on our banner on the homepage. Favorite it, please, as a bookmark. I know some people who do that. Um, not me, because I can't buy off of our own stuff. I know, that really of, sucks for I know, us. It's a bummer for us. But, and purchase whatever. Um, how about some glucose tabs? Store those things next ah, to the side. Kelly brought those up today. Call. Throw them into the side. All right, so let me go ahead and introduce today's guest, Kelly McKeever. He's born and bred Oklahoman. Him and I grew up together, went to the same elementary school, and he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 13. Since then, he has transformed into a diabetes health professional, has a goal of becoming a certified diabetes educator. He's already a registered nurse. He works hard. He sees type 1s. He sees type 2s. And he's a type 1. So he's got a ton of information. He's real. He's honest. And on top of the diabetes technology scene, we got the chance to catch up with him today over at Amber's Place on another hot Oklahoma afternoon steamy is the word i'd use steamy so are we ready to get into the show let's do it all right diabetes podcast real life number Number seven seven. let's roll All right, we're here with uh, with Kelly McKeever, and I believe this is actually our our first type one diabetes participant. That is a fact, and podcast. welcome, Kelly. Prepare yourself. Thank you guys for having me. I'm glad I can be here for it. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of nice having a type one on the show because there's just a, an understanding, you know, it acceptance does help out. Yeah, acceptance everywhere. Yeah. So whenever we talk about blood sugars in a second, because I, I think that's where we're going to go with this, we're going to actually see where everybody's at. Um, so at the end of the show, if somebody says something, 
that maybe wasn't so kosher well, no, because some people's blood sugar wasn't in the right spot. So <laughs> I'm going to start a, using that as more of an excuse for when I act inappropriately. Well, okay, okay. So Kelly can actually probably enlighten us on this a little bit too. Is having a high blood sugar, okay, and maybe saying something, right. you know, like not something you're proud of, right? To someone, do you think? Do you, do you give yourself any kind of uh, excuse whenever it's high? Do you let yourself off the hook? Yeah, I definitely do, and I, I encourage my patients to do that as well. Okay. Um, both high and low blood sugars can really affect, you know, the basics, you know, where your mind state's at. I mean, when it's too low, your brain's not getting the glucose that it needs. So you can't actually make the thoughts that you want to make. And that's when you sound drunk, right. pretty much. Whenever your blood sugar's high, you're just not in a good spot because you don't feel well. Uh, right. So it's the angry. high or low, I definitely encourage my patients to, you know, just kind of forgive themselves for some things that are a little bit out of character sometimes. Oh. You know, they know who they are. They know what's normal for them and you kind of got to just allow that every now and then do you when you when you talk to your patients about that do you i really appreciate the fact that you said to um forgive themselves or, or you know to let that go because i ryan and i have touched on this a lot about the guilt and shame i didn't really that didn't come into play in my life i think until i in the past two years really and so i'm glad that you're educating people that is going into the mind part of things no doubt you feel guilt you and you act inappropriately at times that it's completely out of your control yeah i mean diabetes is just as much mental as it is physical i mean there's a large oh, mental burden that comes with the diagnosis of diabetes whether it's early on or later on in life i mean mm-hmm. i think later on it's definitely a lot harder because you've already established a life and you've got you know a particular way of doing things right and it's a complete upheaval as a kid you know you just kind of have to go along with it and make the changes and that's what your life is from that point on but, I mean, it definitely takes a toll on you on a daily basis, and it doesn't go away. So it's one of those things where it's going to be here today, it's going to be here tomorrow, and it's going to be here three years from now. You know, so. it, it doesn't go away. And I'm curious if you think, if, if you basically agree with my experience, I think it gets more difficult the older you get, in a way. I mean, some of the things like taking shots and testing your blood sugar, those are routine. And that's gone. But the mental aspect and understanding what blood sugar does to your mind states and then seeing how you react, I think it becomes more complicated. Right. And once you're obviously once you're out of the honeymoon phase and maybe you don't have practice every day after school anymore, it becomes a little more difficult to manage your blood sugars. Do you see that in adults? Well, and not only that, the the mental reality of diabetes starts to come into play of, you know, the older I get, the longer I have this, the more likelihood there is that I could run into complications later on in life and right. just inches closer for you the older you get now granted that's completely dependent upon how well you take care of yourself the right. things that you do on a daily basis but it becomes harder and harder to do all those things when all that starts to weigh on you you know when it just keeps coming back and it's always constantly in your mind well i think with everybody getting older um, the different stages of life and how one thing is uh more stressful than the other I mean, the average person going to college. So you just graduate from high school. Everyone's stressed. What, what am I going to, you know, what will I be studying? And what's going to be my profession for the rest of my life? And, and then you graduate from college and you go to the next step and you got the job. And then you start the family. I mean, everybody has those life struggles that are the different phases, essentially, of life. But then we have to think about, well, your hormones just changed. Or am I going to give my kid diabetes should I choose to have a child or be a part of something? So... Yeah. Let's talk about that from a, if you don't mind, a male female perspective at the different stages. And um, neither one of you are married. Correct. Or have children. Correct. Yep. Correct. <laughs> that, that we know of. <laughs> and, and the same for me. And so, do you want families? 
I, this may be too much of a weird deal, but right. welcome to the show, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> Dive right in. Yeah, we are now three minutes into the show. We're well, dropping bombs, and all right. So yes, I, I would say yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd want a family. Percent, yeah. but we've talked about mm-hmm. this in the past too. Like, I think it's eight percent of uh, if you're a type one diabetic as a female and have a child. Eight percent. There's an eight percent chance of it having this it, passing it along. For men, it's fifteen percent. Is that correct? Do you recall? We can look that up. But. I, I think it's actually flipped, but really? at the same time, when you compound the two, it becomes a, a much higher chance. So, so two type ones, your right, your kids are going to have a higher chance of it. <laughs> maybe a twenty, um, maybe a twenty five percent chance somewhere around could, there. I think. And then, isn't it if if your first child or if one of your children has diabetes, there's right, a significant their, their chance has, that right. that percentage for the next is going to go up. Right. It's not the same odds. Do you see a lot of um, siblings? I actually have a really good friend um, from camp who uh, he has type 1 diabetes. His father has type 1 diabetes. And now, um, within the past year and a half, his younger brother was diagnosed with type 1 1 diabetes also. Wow. So, I mean, it's, I would say to some degree, it's less of a familial link than type mm-hmm. 2 diabetes because definitely, that yeah, definitely is very yeah. hereditary. But when you have someone with type 1 in your family, that definitely does increase the likelihood and the chance of it happening. So did you have anyone in your family? No, both my parents have been diagnosed with type 2 later on since mm-hmm. my diagnosis of type 1. Okay. But prior to that, nothing that was really in my family and nothing that would have led for any of us to think that there was any reason to. Well, Ryan, the same thing. For, I mean, like I... Yeah, same for me. Same for me. And mm-hmm. this... I was going to ask you about this because, okay, just to give some background on how Kelly and I know each other, we grew up in the exact same part of Oklahoma City, more South Oklahoma City with the same grade school. Uh, just Kelly was a year younger than I was, but we always knew who each other were because we were the first two kids with diabetes at Fisher Elementary in a well, way. Landon Davidson was there too. Landon was there. Yep. Jeff got and diagnosed Jeff got a diagnosed. little bit for me, but oh, Jeff whenever was he first. got diagnosed, okay. All boys. he was... He, he, had, he had switched schools for like a year or two. So he ended up coming back to Brink, but for fifth and sixth grade, he was at a different school, and that was when he got diagnosed. Really? Okay. So, Interesting. So yeah, so I you... think there were uh, four at least. Um, Cinnamon, Cinnamon was a year younger than me. She had type mm-hmm. 1 diabetes. Yep. Um, Her name is Cinnamon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How fun yep. as, a ti- as a diabetic <laughs> because it's like... That's, that's that, that okay. homeopathic treatment that, that yeah. they all think about. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, does it work? No, I'm, at kidding. Least, <laughs> I'm kidding. At least that's five. I don't know if there were if there were more. You know, my aunt was a teacher at Fisher, and she had a girl who was diagnosed in probably third or fourth grade, around the same time that we probably were, mm-hmm. I would guess. But she was probably five years younger than us. Okay. But my dad has this conspiracy theory going on that he thinks that there's something going on at Fisher Elementary. It might be. I don't know. It feels it feels kind of weird, right? There's I mean, so many of us that got diagnosed. We, we need to look at statistics. Like of one how many? Seven hundred kids. Right. right. It is kind of strange. I mean, yeah. most most kids. It's a you know, The camp that I work with, they're from small towns, so they don't really know other kids that have type one diabetes. Yeah. It was really strange to grow up knowing four or five other kids that had type one diabetes. And that had to be beneficial, honestly, because I didn't know another another soul. I mean. I was on an island for sure. So. I mean, it, it definitely was Jeff. He's, I mean, he's my best friend. So having someone that close Your to BFF. me. Your BFF? He's my BFF. And you guys <laughs> have been tight forever. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, that definitely helped. I mean, me and Ryan were friends. We weren't really that close. But, I mean, you know, if I needed something, I could call him. I think there was actually one time that I did end up calling on him because uh, he had gone through college working with. Uh, um, That's right. Yeah, we talked. Um, it was with the diabetes run. Well, right? with the diabetes run also, but with also the. Uh, 
um, Oklahoma Department of Rehab- Rehabilitative Services. That's right. Um, yep. And I ended up going through the same program. Go, to, Vogue Rehab? Right. Through Me Vogue too. Rehab to, to get paid for college and everything yeah. like that. So oh, awesome. I knew Ryan had kind of dealt mm-hmm. with them a little bit. And then Jeff had dealt with them after them. And then I had talked to Jeff and I talked to Ryan a little bit with it. Wow. So, you know, it's not like we were terribly close, but... When you need something and you know mm-hmm. somebody that's going through the same thing, it helps out a lot to kind of have that resource and just call on them. And even just a, a figure in your mind, I think to know that other people are out there doing normal things. Like you guys were always playing baseball, playing football, in class, had friends, could talk to people. I mean, just having like people mm-hmm. around who are doing normal life things, it kind of makes it not quite as big a deal for you every day. I right? think that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Huge with the Vogue Rehab, I want to just touch on that briefly because I didn't know anyone else. And so when um, I remember in graduating from high school and going through the career training or what do you want to do with your life kind of situation, and somebody had recommended, one of my counselors had said, you really need to look into vocational rehabilitation. And I thought, eh, I don't know. I mean, what what am I going to get from this? And I remember going through right. all the paperwork and everything and thought... A lot of paperwork. I, Interviews. Well, and then I felt guilty. I'm getting... They're, I'm not going to say paying for me to go to college, but um, helping me get to school. I don't know. And so, yeah, I did receive funding, but I was limited on what my career path could be. Did you feel the same? Um, or did they put those restrictions? I'm a lot older than you are. So. I don't. I don't recall really having any any restriction. I mean, he definitely cautioned me to you know think about something that you know should something happen to you, like losing that, your eyesight, right? That you would be able to continue, right? Um, so, granted, nursing probably a difficult field if I was still on a floor doing nursing that way right. would be difficult if I did lose my eyesight or you know lost a limb or something like that. Um, where I'm at now. Maybe a little bit easier simply because I'm just educating now. Right. But um, he definitely did caution me with that. But at the same time, he was willing to work with me if that was the path that I wanted to go down. Right. So. um, And looking back on those years, I think about the fact that, and again, letting go of the guilt, is that we pay out of pocket for an ass load (laughs) for our to live it's incredible it's an incredibly expensive disease and in and, and every single year of our life and so college is expensive for everyone but for us it's an extra just addition to so right no more guilt on that yeah i mean i, I briefly felt kind of guilty for the fact that you know they're paying me for this you know because of a you know quote unquote disability which diabetes does qualify as but that being yeah. said you know neither you know none of us here are living disabled we're all well-labeled body human beings that can right. do everything that anybody else wants to do. So it was kind of an ironic thing to get money for that reason. But at the same time, I'm now in a field where I'm giving back yeah. to that community. And I feel that it's, you know, I'm at least trying to limit the likelihood Ditto. of disability where I can. That's a really good point. So if you know of a vocational rehab center in your state, why not check it out? Check it out. Give it a shot. It's and a great Go resource. through the paperwork. It's a, huge, it really it's a great is resource. And, you know, it's something to admit that you have a disability. But I think it, it, it's a powerful thing that you, you need to do um, at times for certain things in your life, like for testing in college mm-hmm. or high school. To be able to bring in a low blood sugar snack, that it makes you admit to having a disability and right. having to talk about it with teachers. Well, and the other thing is... But these are big things. Absolutely. The other thing is owning it. You know, yeah. Owning it. It's one thing to yeah. have diabetes and to kind of feel victim to it at times, which is not uncommon. I mean, it, it hits you where you don't expect it to. But at the same time, just having that power over diabetes and saying, I'm going to be proactive about this and I'm right. going to do this, you know, that, that itself is, is something that kind of keeps you in control of it versus letting it control you. That's a good, that's a really good point. It's definitely not weakness. Right. It's Kelly, not a weakness. I'm yeah. going to need you to like create five things. 
ones that you tell your di- diabetic clients. You're, you're, all, you're getting it right now. This I is, mean, like, I feel like if words of wisdom. I'm going to have to charge you guys after this. <laughs> Just let you know. It's kind of what it feels like. All right. right. So, so speaking of what you do, I, I'd like for you to share with everyone uh, what exactly your days look like, what kinds of patients that you see as a certified diabetes educator and an RN, um, adults versus kids. Um, the outpatient center, just describe what goes on at your job. Right. So right now I'm working towards the certification, not there yet. Um, actually, it's quite a pathway. It takes about two years. Oh, for the CDE? Right. Oh, man, it's got to get 1,000 hours of education in two years. So I'm <laughs> working on that right now. Not, not quite there yet. Uh, what is, um, okay, what counts as an education hour? Um, any kind of counseling towards diabetes, whether it's type 1, type 2, gestational, anything like that, really does work. Does that include camps? Um, Yes and no. Okay. Um, it's really technically, the majority of it needs to be done in some type of accredited association through the ADA or ADDE. Um, but that being said, I've found ways to help count the, the hours that I use camp. Um, so I'm a little bit closer than most people would be at this point simply because I live, eat, and breathe diabetes every day. <laughs> so um, a lot of my hours are counted towards it. Um, but yeah, I think I'm at right now right, roughly around 500 after being in this just under a year. So I've still got a little ways to go before I can test for it. It's not bad. Um, but where I work is it's a pretty work, big test. It, it's 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 a tough test. It covers a lot of stuff: type one, type two, gestational, dietary restrictions, exercise recommendations, all these different things. And you have to be at least knowledgeable to some degree about all of it. You're, like you're basically the one-stop shop for everything diabetes life. Right. Yeah. By the time you take this test. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's a lot to know. Um, so the majority of what I do on a daily basis is primarily type two, uh, being that of the 30 million people in the U.S. that have diabetes, 90% of that's type. There two. are numbers, Ryan. So we've got about five million people in the U.S. right now that have type one at most. So somewhere around there. Um, so roughly of that 30 million that have type two, that's what I'm seeing. Um, okay. Most of our patients are, you know, middle age to older age. Baby boomer population is kind of pretty predominant right now, being that it's a kind of a big population out there. Um, so we see a lot of that. Every once in a while, we'll see some type ones. Not as often as I would like to, but you know, they're just not as often out there. That's yeah. a bonus. Um, plus, the other thing about type ones is that you've gotten it from an early age. You know, you've been taught how to manage this. You know how to do it. So for most people coming in to get instruction at 30 years old. It's not really necessary. Right. You've been doing it for a while. Sometimes people need a refresher or something like that, and we'll kind of steer them in that direction. Um, but that's probably the, mostly what I see during the day. Do you think that as a type 1, um, being a CDE, or eventually being a CDE and somebody who works with people with diabetes, that it's easier to admit that? to type 1 diabetes patients and say, like, I understand you know what's going on. And do you think that's hard for people who don't have diabetes that are nurses, are physicians, are CDEs? Right, yeah, I think it's definitely beneficial to have diabetes and kind of know where these patients are coming from, even the ones with type 2. I mean, I know, what it means. I know what it feels like to check a blood sugar, and I know what it feels like to have to take medications and do all this stuff. I get where they're coming from. I don't know their personal story, but I get it to sure. some degree. Um, with the type 1 patients, obviously, I know they know mostly what's going on, and they may literally just be there because their doctor required them to go. Right. And with that, I really just kind of want to figure out what they want to learn from it. Is there anything that they feel like they don't have a great handle on? Mm-hmm. And I can help them out with that. Or, you know, do they feel like they have difficulty changing their own basils and they're unsure about that? And, you know, how can I make them more comfortable doing that kind of thing? Well, I want to ask, awesome. just out of curiosity, awesome. is um, going because I'm 
Ryan's in the medical is aspiring to be a physician, and you being in the position as a diabetic, educating others about diabetes. What made you want to go into this? So you have to live. You already live it right. every it, day. Why the hell are you talking about it? It was kind of a fun pathway that started really back with my diagnosis, right. um, which was how old? I was thirteen. 13? Yeah. 13. Wow, that's a lot of okay. so, yeah. yeah, you were a little bit older yeah. than us. I, I was kind of yeah, in the middle there. Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doctor that I went to, Dr. Domek, he was, you know, he was my physician. Mm-hmm. Sharon, his wife, was the nurse, so it was kind of a family thing. Right. And, you know, I just kind of got wrapped up in it, and I really started to enjoy diabetes. Um, it, you enjoy it, diabetes? It, I'm one of the few people that finds a huge silver lining in diabetes, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a good but thing, yeah. They encouraged me to go to a camp um, after... You know, which I, camp was it? It was uh, Camp Endress, which is put on by Diabetes Solutions of Oklahoma. Okay. Um, and, you know, I honestly had no desire to go to this camp i said mom i don't want to go to a camp with a bunch of kids that have diabetes it's going to be terrible they're all just all these crippled kids right (laughs) and i i went to it and it completely changed my life you know it was one thing that i just i loved to death so i knew from that point on that was kind of where i wanted to go with it i didn't know exactly what i wanted to do right but i knew you know from early on that i kind of had a heart for people and wanted to help out so um, in college, I was actually pre-physical therapy and didn't want to take physics, so I applied for nursing school. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> physics is... 100% yeah. totally on a whim, and that's kind of a dangerous thing because nursing is one of those things where if you're not invested in it and your heart's not there, it is not an easy thing to do. Um, oh. But going through it, do you feel like, and I know Ryan was talking about you know, that when they discussed endocrinology, essentially, he, I mean, do you, when you were learning about everything, we, we kind of like, eh, I've got a better handle on this. Yeah, without, without a doubt. Uh, <laughs> you test. didn't even have to think about glucagon and insulin and no. what was happening in different situations. Everybody else is freaking out, like, yeah. this is so important. You're like, eh, I'd eat, yeah. I, I was always a good test taker. I was never like the last one finishing or something like that. I was always maybe fifth or sixth. Right. And during the diabetes test, which was pretty, I mean, it was endocrine, but the majority <laughs> of it was diabetes. Right. And I finished that test 20 minutes before anybody else did. <laughs> and I was like... Oh. Did you leave like a blood stain on it too? I, You're I, like, I, I was certain that I had like skipped pages or something like that. So I went back through and I was like, no, I, I got it. I answered everything. Most of it was about insulin and timing and all this stuff. So right. it was just natural for me. Yep. But I was absolutely scared thinking I had just completely forgot two pages of this <laughs> test or something. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, but yeah, I definitely feel like I had the, the kind of upper hand when it came to that right. at least portion of it compared to everybody else. Did you encounter anything in the curriculum that you didn't know about diabetes? Or did you argue about, it? Particularly about type 1, because type 2 is different, because we don't, we don't know as much about type 2. Right. Type right. 2 is almost more complicated. Right. There's, there's more going on. But with, with type 1, I mean, did you stumble into some stuff? Uh, there was some stuff that I probably argued to a degree simply because, mm-hmm. you know, I was, it was also the book versus my life, okay? So there were some things in the book that might be more common for other people yep. that weren't common for me. I right. found that very challenging, right. too. That's tough. So there, was, there was some yeah. stuff where I was having to compare my real life to what the book says. And there were some times where I would say, no, that there's, there's no way that's true. And then I'd think about it and I'd say, well, I mean, maybe for some people, but just not for me. Um, but yeah, there were definitely some things that I found myself challenging them on and, mm. you know, calling them out on. And I think they appreciated it to some degree. Um, right. You know, it definitely helps to have another set of eyes and ears whenever you're trying to figure something out. And I think, that, I think 
I mean, it definitely helped me out a lot to have other people kind of really just, I mean, I was teaching a lot of my classmates the process of diabetes and how it works and everything. Did they buy you drinks because of that? I hope you got a, like a kickback. There was, I mean, there was a fair (laughs) amount of drink buying going all around nursing school. It was, I mean, it was a rough time. I mean, it was me and about 45 other girls. So it was, it was a rough point. Oh, as a single man. It was, it was difficult for me. I I gotta say. It's probably hard to get out of bed. It it was some days, yeah. Okay. Was that at OU? Uh, it was at OU's campus, but it was down in Lawton. So, oh, right. wow. Cameron? At Cameron University, okay. right. There's there's a satellite campus down there that matches with Duncan. And uh, that yeah. was our, our campus. And there's also one in Oklahoma City and then one up in Tulsa. Oh, so. cool. Ryan, can we, uh, uh, because I know that we've talked about our diagnosis days, the day that we were diagnosed, excuse me, um, Kelly, you want to touch on that? <laughs> you got to talk about this. Because yeah. I feel like your experience is probably very different it, for mine, especially. Yeah, my, mine was a, a strange experience. I didn't get diagnosed in the hospital or anything like that. I was still, you know, 100% outpatient. Um, but I went and had my labs drawn on a Friday. And why, why were you just for, yeah, start really started out. Um, my brother was annoyed with me. Um, I was peeing all the time and during the <laughs> night and I woke him up frequently. Um, I guess I was peeing like six times a night and he wasn't really happy with it. So Did you guys share a bedroom or like the, we had the kind of Jack, Jack, and, Jill. Jack and Jill bathroom. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, my mom, my mom was like, well, you know, all right, I'll take him to the doctor. We'll see what's going on. She, she was convinced it was diabetes from the beginning. And I said, mom, you're full of it. Oh, there's no way it's diabetes. Mom's intuition. Um, so we went, we went to the doctor, had labs drawn on Friday and, um, nothing came through over the weekend. So I, you know, we figured everything was fine. Um, I go to football practice Monday morning cause it was during junior high and we had started two a day practices and all that good stuff. Oh, good times. So I was in the middle of practice and my dad, you know, I saw him come up to the field house and you know, it's not uncommon. He's been there to watch practice before. So I wasn't shocked by it. And then one of my football coaches came over and got me and he said, Hey Kelly, we gotta, you gotta go. You gotta go do something. I said, practice just started i mean we've been here for like an hour i'm not gonna leave right you're <laughs> so dedicated my, to this team <laughs> right i was i was all about it westmore right or so, no at this the time been, it was brink yeah brink, okay, the, excuse the me. brink bobcats yeah. <laughs> right. um so at, at, at that point my football coach said kelly you have diabetes you gotta you gotta go to the doctor <laughs> just throw that out there at <laughs> <Right>. a practice oh <laughs> you gotta yeah, t- okay for my, my football some coach. people know who this coach is who the, listen to the podcast might, right. You got to tell us who it is. So this was, this, was, this guy's name was uh, Chris Foshi, um, and he's if you've heard Foshi around, probably Foshi and Yaffe Law Firms. That's his dad, and this guy has a mind like a steel trap. He remembers everything. Ah. So to this day, Incredible. I don't know exactly what day I was diagnosed on, but I can call him up and ask him, and he knows. We need to find that out. That's good. We, we need to have this guy on the podcast. You could shoot him well. a text he, right he'll, now. He'll and probably he would send it back. Yeah, he probably would. Um, <laughs> but you know, and so from that point on. You know, I went to left there, went to went to the doctor. Um, I started off with Dr. Domek and am still at the ripe old age of 25 going to see him, scaring little seven and eight year old kids in his in his, <laughs> you know, waiting room and everything like that. Just wear your scrubs. Exactly. I, I do sometimes. And then they just think that I'm someone coming to see him for work or something like that. But every once in a while, a little seven year old gives me a look like, what are you here for? I'm like. Same thing you are, bud. Same thing you are. <laughs> so is he OK? Well, I had to move from Dr. Blackett on. So they didn't. They haven't pushed you out of the system yet. Not yet. Actually, Doctor Domek will keep the majority of his patients as long as they're still that's doing actually, well. I feel like that's keeping good. Keeping controlled. Um, no adult complications have set in or anything like that. He'll he'll go ahead and keep seeing you. Um, every once in a while, depending on a certain circumstance, he may recommend that you go see an adult endocrinologist. And right. When that day comes, I will be a sad, sad man. Um, I feel like you could I've, take this man for coffee or. 
I, maybe a cocktail. Yeah, I've, I've, I assume it's a man. He's he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. and I've uh, I mean, there's been times where I don't know if we've ever gone out for drinks or anything like that, but his his wife has even said because they live up by Mercy. Um, you know, hey, if it ever storms real bad or it's really bad snow, if you need a place to stay, you just come over to our house. <laughs> oh, and in my head, so I'm thinking, cool. if I show up at my doctor's house, he's going to be like, I have to feed this massive man, and he's just not going to be happy. <laughs> so I've yet to take him up on that offer, but I do appreciate it. They're, that is they're, really I'm, I'm, kind. I'm very, yeah, I'm very close with them, and they're, they're, they're great people, and I love them to death. That is, he has special relationships with all of his patients. I'm not one of his patients. Right. But if you live in Oklahoma City and you have type 1 as a kid, you've heard of Dr. Domek. Right. Because mm-hmm. so many people go and see him and everybody raves about him. Right. And he has his own private practice, correct? Yeah, he practices at Integris. Um, but uh, as far as I know, um, I don't think they have any kind of real restrictions on him or anything like that. Very, yeah, well, it's I very have... interesting because I think that's how he's able to hold on to patients, too. Yeah. Because if you are in the OU children's system, you're inherently also in the OU physician system absolutely so you it's almost a responsibility to then feed and be a pipeline to adult endocrinologist right from a peds endocrinologist and he just doesn't have that right and for every patient there's different value in different treatments and i think it's pretty cool what he does i i agree and i have to say that ryan and i both knowing dr blackett i was in line right after i met ryan literally when we started talking about the concept of the diabetes daily grind the universe just smiled down on me and I was at Whole Foods in line and, and right in front of me was Dr. Blackett. Haven't seen this man in 10 plus years because I'd moved on into an adult endocrinology situation and uh, I tapped his shoulder as he's checking out in front of me and I said, Dr. Blackett? He said, how are you? He knew me right off the bat. I said, I'm Amber Cleary. He was like, I remember, whatever. And I said, well, I've started this thing or we're about to start this thing, the Diabetes Daily Grind. I don't even know if we had a name for it at that point. But I said, Ryan Fightmaster and I are working on a project for type 1 diabetics. Could we talk? And, the, <laughs> and he absolutely took out his business card because I think he's fairly retired and wrote, wrote down his um, personal email address. And we chatted and everybody's like, come on, move along, people, because it's a busy Friday afternoon or whatever it was. And then, I'm not kidding you, the woman that was checking us out said, I, uh, checking us out said, I don't know what just happened, but this is something great is going to come from this. And uh, Ryan and I had tea, literally, tea, tea. with Dr. Black at a, uh, about a week or so later. Awesome. We did. Having yeah. that relationship as a, or friendship, and I'm not going to say a friendship, but he's been... He, yeah, he's a unique soul, and we talked about him a lot on the last one. So, yeah. Before we get into some hardcore diabetes life talk, <laughs> we gotta we gotta say where our blood sugars are at. Oh yeah, we gotta break it down. All right, so since this was Amber's idea, we're gonna let Amber lead off. I wish you could see Ryan's face because he's pissed. Um, I started <laughs> off, and I, let me say this: it was not. I didn't know that people were sensitive about this, but I just tested my blood sugar before going into this, so I didn't sound I don't like think a total shit show. About it. I don't think well, are no, about I'm not saying. Yeah, okay, I you. I didn't say who was I'll, sensitive. Obviously, I'll we know I'll now. I'll explain in a second. I'll <laughs> okay. explain. So, I just wanted to test my blood sugar beforehand. So, if I just to know where I was, so I didn't act inappropriately more mm-hmm. than usual. And so, I started out at 176. I've got some snacks here that I know how it'll affect my blood sugar. I'd rather keep it on the higher range in my world because I try to keep it at 110. So, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ryan, what's your story? So, <laughs> no, my, or should my, we start with Kelly? <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm fine with talking about it. Um, currently, I'm looking at my CGM, and it says 261, and it's got a single arrow going down. There you go. Is that so, good? I mean, it like, means for, it's trending down. It means it's not trending, oh, okay. trending very fast. Okay. Yeah. It's not trending real hard, but it's trending. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the double arrows. That's right. The double arrows usually mean... Shit's you're, something bad's about to happen right. both ways. Yeah, yeah. and it, depending, on, I mean, it doesn't even really matter where my blood sugar's at. If I if I see the double arrows, I can usually feel that kind of drop rate. Totally agree. Uh, I would like even, to talk about how you feel. Even if my blood sugar's up at around one eighty, mm-hmm. I can feel it dropping a lot faster than say if it were dropping with you know one of the one of the trending arrows. It almost feels like you're low. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're cruising down, like right now, I don't feel. I would say fifteen minutes ago, I felt high, you know, but. Then I felt the plateau. Mm-hmm. I felt the normalization happen. I could feel it peak. And then as it started to come down, I felt you can feel just a twinge better. And now I feel I have more energy now than I did 15 minutes ago. Right. For sure. And just a better attitude. I could feel it. <laughs> I could feel it switch down. Well, the other day, oh, Amber, Amber just likes to know things about people. She does. She just <laughs> likes to know stuff. No so, filter. So we were, <laughs> no filter. And so I test my blood sugar. And she's like, what was your blood sugar? And I was like, I don't want to tell you. And that was the kind of your business. And I'm like, what that was the, the whole conversation. The I can talk to this is the first time I've ever talked about it with him. Like, can't we just be buddies and you just tell me what's going on? <laughs> that's what I'm thinking in my mind. So right. I didn't know. And, that was I, a, and then I'm thinking, like, why the thing. hell does she want to know? Right. I don't need to tell her my damn blood sugar. And of course, it was like, it was already high. Right. So if I was low, I would have been like, oh, you know, it's like 75. But I was like, no, it's not because I'm like 275. Thanks for asking. And I'm never judging. That's the kicker. Is <laughs> and, and, I know I mean, we all go through it. Right. We all, we all go through it. Yeah. So, yeah, Ryan and so I have it's battles. All, it's all about intentions. Intentions. With Mine are genuine things. and sweet. Just throwing that out there. Debata- very debatable. <laughs> so, I, uh, I checked my blood sugar out in my truck right before I came in, and I was about 172. Okay. And I took two, uni- two, ni- two units of insulin to just kind of bring it back down into my, into my good range. So, do you dial Absolutely. it up? Is that how it works? You can just... I mean, it, it go ahead and it go, it does the whole calculation for you. Okay. So I didn't really have to do anything. I just had to press a button. <laughs> oh, that's e- nice. Pretty easy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it actually calculated about two point five, and I just you know took two just to make sure I didn't drop too low. And you're wearing a Dexcom? Not right, right now. Um, I do have one, but I, mm-hmm. I, I don't have it on right now. Okay. Um, and I actually have a couple of the in light sensors that I got from. Oh, nice. One, okay. of, one of the reps. So mm-hmm. it, it's nice being in this world and oh my and living God. in it. That's a huge perk. Yeah. You have access to some really cool things. Yeah. I definitely yeah. I definitely have access to stuff, and it does not hurt my feelings to, you know, get a free box of in-light sensors or something like that. And he says, you know, hey, just use them and give me a call if you need something later on or yeah. anything like that. Well, I have to say yeah. that in, Kelly and I met for the first time two weeks ago. Uh, Maybe it was last well, week. It was last week, yeah. Um, because I have had a major battle with insurance. I'm not going to talk about it because I will freak out. But I reached out to Kelly because in a past post when I had another problem with insurance, and if for the general public who does not know this, insulin, all the testing supplies, everything is insanely expensive, um, 100 plus for everything. And these are things that we need in order to survive. So I couldn't get insulin and I couldn't get test strips. And so I reached out to Kelly. He was kind enough to just entertain my phone call. And we determined what he could or couldn't do. And so I have a new... Uh, meter now and um, new test strips which is great but I'm down to my last I'd say 10 hopefully tomorrow everything will kick in after 75 conversations with 
Blue Cross and Blue Shield in the marketplace. Insurance companies are always a lot of fun, let me tell you. Well, and let me just say that after I had a conference call in, and I was on the phone with Marketplace and Blue Cross and Blue Shield, tears were shed on all parties. And everyone, and for the first time ever, someone said, unless you know about type 1 diabetes, the average person that's dealing with insurance does not understand that it is a life threatening disease if I don't I had to answer a questionnaire yesterday on the phone that said if you don't have your supplies what would happen I would die how quickly would you die well it depends do you want me to go to a coma first um, or just um, I mean I could stop taking everything right now and just kick the bucket so the fact that the people that are dealing with how you get things has no idea the severity of the situation right. is mind-boggling. And I know that they deal with a lot of stuff, and that's my pity potty on the diabetes world, but well, I, I thank you, Kelly, lot, for I the test. I deal with a lot of insurance companies on that, actually, with my patients. That, you know, yeah. They'll say, well, they only need to test once a day. Bullshit. And granted, if a patient's on metformin, maybe they don't need to test six times a day. But three times ideally, they need to be tested more than once a day or more than once every six days or right. you know, depending on the, the reality is that you need to know what's happening inside your body so that you know what you can do about it. If your blood sugar is 180, you can do something about that. If your blood sugar is 85, you can do something about that. You don't have to be a victim to I only have one test trip a day, so I'll see what it is every morning when I wake up. and That's it. Well, that was a part of the argument. And I will say that we could I, I feel confident in saying that we all agree that test trips are the most important or Dexcom totally. the most important part because you can get insulin from a pharmacy like from your endocrinologist or something because they'll give you samples but the test strips if you don't have enough and if you need to test 12 times a day because you're sick if something crazy is going on and you don't have access to that and insurance doesn't understand or won't that's just total bullshit right and one of the, one of the things that some people don't know, um, depending on what pharmacies you go to, I think Walmart allows it. I don't know about CVS or Walgreens or any of them, but um, if, even if you don't have a prescription for it, you can go to certain pharmacies and you can buy MPH and regular over the counter, and you can use that if you know how to do it. If you do run into a situation where you've run out of oh, Lantus wow. or you've run out of Humalog or something like that, you can go get MPH and regular without a prescription. Oh, that's, well, a, let me li- say that's this. a life-threatening situation. Well, right. when that's, I had cool. a, that's great. Nervous breakdown when I... Uh, and right when I called Ryan, I was like, I busted my bottle of insulin. I was house sitting. I had to, I just, oh, there was, a, it was and my blood sugar for the first time in my whole life, adult life, was over four hundred. Right. Didn't know what was going on. There was a number of factors. I went to Walmart just to deal with that. They could not, would not sell me the insulin that I needed, but they could give me a lower grade, which is basically theirs, which is good enough for animals. <laughs> And I'm like, you know what? You can take that and shove it up your ass. There's no, I mean, why would I? (laughs) Then I'm going to, what the, what? I mean, I couldn't believe that was even, I mean, breaking down. Ryan talked me off the ledge. Don't blame you too much for that, yeah. (laughs) And yeah, that was probably still 40 plus bucks. But the the bottle that I needed was 190 or something ridiculous. But I totally understood where you were though, because that is like. It's just ridiculous. That is the all time panic moment when you have no insulin. You see no clear path as to how to get any. And you're high right. at the same oh, time. God, that's the disaster zone. And so I knew where you were at. But you I'm got happy I didn't get arrested that day because <laughs> I could have jumped over the counter and fucking strangled somebody. <laughs> somebody, was gonna, like, somebody was going to get beat that day. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Okay. I dropped the f bomb. There we go. Explicit. <laughs> All right. Now, yes, this will be exclusively found on iTunes <laughs> under the explicit label. Now. No, no. This is what we want. This is the real life diabetes podcast. Fine. It's all good. Okay. All right. So, question about this: What is the longest amount of time you guys have gone? in your diabetes life without testing? Because I've had to survive 
before. I didn't test for the first 18 years of my life. Just so. purely going on feeling. My, feeling for high or low. Mine was probably during my younger years when I was a kid, and I just didn't, didn't care test. quite as much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say there's probably a period of time where I went and... Luckily, my mom doesn't listen to stuff like this. Um, probably somewhere <laughs> between two and three months without testing my blood sugar. Oh, and years. I mean, just How old? High school? Um, junior high, high school. Junior yeah. yeah. I mean, actually, when I got diagnosed the first year and a half, two years, I was really actually pretty good about it. Okay. I would do the whole six times a day mm-hmm. and pretty consistent. Um, but yeah, I would say during my high school, not really even like a rebellion thing, just a complete 100% lazy thing. Oh, yeah. Um, with the except, and it was probably, it actually might have been right after high school because even in high school during football, they would make me check my blood sugar every now and then. Just well, that's good. That was actually that's so, good for you. So uh, I, I guess it would probably be probably my freshman or junior or freshman or sophomore year of college, somewhere in there, where mm-hmm. I just, you know, I was like, whatever. I, if I feel like I'm high, I'll take some insulin. Once I start to feel low, I'll grab something to eat. And I probably did that for like three months. Well, can we talk about that really yep. quick? Because Ryan and I have talked, uh, wh- when you say you feel high or you feel low, what are your symptoms? What do you, uh, yeah. See, my big high symptoms are, uh, my joints just get dry as all get out, and I mean, it basically feels like I've got arthritis. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'm peeing a little bit more often. I totally agree with that. Uh, all, all of my aches and pains come back. Pulled right. muscles, everything comes back when I'm high. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. Um, yep. I'm, I'm really not too cranky. I'll get you know fatigued and tired and stuff like that. But mood change for me on the high side is not a big one. Um, but on the low side, it definitely is. Oh, I'm a, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm a docile human being. I've never once, with the exception <laughs> of like a miniature second grade fight gotten in a fight so um, I'm a very docile human being yeah. but I yeah. mean there's been a time where my worst low probably actually threw my dad up against a refrigerator <laughs> so oh man, it's not, that was, it's not that funny was, that was probably my that was probably like I and mean, that was obviously very out of character for me a couple, so. couple weeks ago it was uh, it was after a concert and um, I came home obviously <laughs> we know the reason for the for the low blood sugar um, oh, we'd been at Ufala yeah. that weekend and I came home and I woke up and I, you know, I got to the kitchen and I knew my blood sugar was low and I was getting something to drink and either I couldn't swallow or it just didn't make it in my mouth but I had orange juice just run all down my chest and then my dad looked at me and he said okay this is that's just wonderful so my mom was actually kind of happy because she'd been, you know, had she'd been itching to use that little glucagon kit for a couple of years by that point, <laughs> um, and she definitely she it's got me, expired. She, she got me. It, was, it probably was. Yeah, she got me good, just right above the knee, and I swear she hit bone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I threw my dad up against the refrigerator, and your mom stabbed you with the needle. She got me with it, and no, I, but, I came to, and I was uh, sitting on the chair, and I looked at him, and I said, why, "Why does my knee hurt so bad? What happened?" Yeah. and she said, "You don't remember any of that?" And I said, "No, I don't." I was in the kitchen. Now I'm sitting here. I don't yep. know what happened in between. So that was probably that. I mean, mood change is probably my biggest one on the low side. Dude, agreed. I, mean, yeah. I, I sweat yeah. like a horse anyway. So if it's you know 65, I can sweat in a room. Oh so man, sweating is not a good one for me. Um, yeah, shaking. Oh, okay. I have you know kind of shaky hands anyway. It's probably why I didn't go into surgery. That and a couple other things. Um, but you know. That's not a real good sign for me either. So well, there's a couple of them that just aren't great signs for me. From like Ryan, I've talked about this as a kid. I used to shake. My nose used to feel numb. Kind of what I now I would say is if you were to drink a glass of whiskey, you know. So has it evolved? I mean, I would say for the most part, it's pretty similar. Um, I remember at one point when I was a kid, um, I was playing a video game, and the letters that were on the screen started to like move 
mm. on the screen, so I knew I was having some like visual yep. disturbances. <laughs> totally get what you're saying. Um, yep. But that, I haven't had that happen since I was a kid, so I don't know if that's something that's changed since then, or if I just haven't been down that low since then. I don't know. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I, for the most part, my signs are pretty consistent. Hmm. It's it's mood changes is probably my biggest one. I yeah, totally agree. Yeah, the all the sunlight in the world goes away. Once I drop below about 80. Right. Yeah, not, that's not completely true. You can usually operate, but that is, that. It, just things become a little more negative, I would say. I think sure. that the, watching the thoughts is almost a better predictor now of blood sugar than symptoms. Right. From a, once we get older like this. Yeah. What about you, Amber? Which part? Symptoms. Symptoms, I would say, as an adult, um... For a real low, the trending, the situ- that because I don't have a pump, um, I now going into meetings. If I feel a little bit off, I test my blood sugar and it's let's just say one sixty, and I'm like, damn, I feel like I'm low. That's just uh. weird, and it's because I, and obviously, the learning from Ryan is that my my uh, yeah my blood sugar is plummeting, and I'm just not, it's not registering on the meter just yet, and I will now just go ahead and eat my emergency snack. So that in a situation to where I can't have something in front of me and still want to sound somewhat educated. Uh, yeah. So other than that, and I've made jokes about this too, the sweats. A woman the who sweats. was diagnosed with, I, I've always said type 1.5. She was probably in her late 40s, early 50s. And she, I made a joke about how it had a rev night the night before and my blood sugar just kept bottoming out. And she said, you know, now that I'm a diabetic, just know this. As a female, menopause will be nothing because you've already been through the worst. <laughs> and so I think about that, like sweating through your clothes. Yeah. Chalk up another uh, plus to the diabetes team. <laughs> yep. It's preparing me. Yeah. you later on, yeah. All right. So as a professional uh, diabetes facilitator, a person who gives out advice on a consistent basis, I was curious, you know, because we're, all, we're given an equation, basically a, a solution for how to live our lives, catch carbs. Take insulin, know your ratios, um, be careful, avoid some things, you know, eat 15 carbs, wait 15 minutes. Right. And I'd never heard that. Yeah, the 15 and 15. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's one of those rules that you 15, wait 15. I learned something new yeah. today. Yeah, yeah big, big rule. But there's a lot of people who have A1Cs above 7. Right. Because real life happens. Yeah. So actually, what do you the, think the it counts? The majority of people um, right now actually have an A1C higher than target, which is that 7%. Is this uh, type 1 and type 2 combined? All people with diabetes, yeah. What's right, so your- what, what do you think it counts for that? Yeah, is that what you were going to ask? No. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Continue with okay. what Ryan asked you. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a large part of it is the fact that you know, what we teach people is from a textbook, okay? It doesn't account for real-life situations. It doesn't account for the stresses that we encounter on a daily basis. Right. And for people with diabetes, those are compounded. You know, if you have to, you know, I got, I got to get across town in 15 minutes. I got to make sure my blood sugar's up first. What if my blood sugar's 59 when I have to get across town in 15 minutes? Oh, my gosh. You I have mean, a nervous breakdown. You know, that's a situation yeah. where legally you could get a DUI for driving yes. with your blood sugar like that. I was but say at the same that. time, if you don't get to where you need to be, you're you fired. Might, you might not get that job, or you might get fired. You know, one of those things. So the the stress of the situations that we go through are compounded from the normal stresses that other people deal with, which are just as you know they're great stresses as well. Mm-hmm. But they don't have that extra factor of I have to know this before I do this, or I have to account for these things before I go on this trip. I have to, you know, like I, I, you know, one of your posts was that you ran out of insulin almost while you were um, on that little because he's not a planner. On, right? He's not a planner. <laughs> that I'm not, and, and that's where <laughs> stuff like that bites you sometimes. It but, does. Yeah. You know it. 
it, you know, all those things that we have to account for that other people don't really have to start to add up. And, you know, those daily stresses, those things that in stress in general is one of the big changes of, of blood sugar that, that occurs because yeah. all of the hormones that are produced in response to stress, all they do is jack up your blood sugar. Right. So if you're someone who's undergoing chronic stress or even acute stress and it's serious stress, then your blood sugars are going to be higher. I mean, it's just a natural fact. And you can take as much insulin as you want to sometimes, and that may not change it. We've talked about this this week. Perfect example. Yeah, you know, I have a friend who has been going through something like this. Say, And this is the situation from what I can recall from what this person has said. Um, over the last week, consistent high blood sugars, can't get them to come down, um, taking normal insulin, taking quite a bit of insulin when necessary, um, but under a little bit of stress but just can't quite figure out the factor that's the problem. Right. I mean, what do you think? Do you have any light so to shine? So Ryan's talking about me, and so this is the <laughs> highest my blood sugar has ever been on a consistent basis from what I can remember, and it's in the morning I can't keep it under 200. I, my highest yeah. I feel like so far has been 286, and I wrote about it recently because I'm like, Jesus Christ. I mean, This I've is really tried. high for you because you are a well-controlled I'm, individual. I'm, you you know, are diligent. I'm yeah. incredibly, I'm a Nazi when it comes to that kind of stuff, and a control freak because I get control of the situation for the most part. So with all these random factors, and so Ryan, I went through a checklist. He was like, okay, so there is a lot of stress. I had a board retreat last week um, on a, actually today, uh, a week ago today. And um, then I started thinking, I was like, oh, I'm about to start my period. Maybe there was another layer there and all these things and nothing. I upped, I, I took like nine or 10 units of insulin to eat a salad. And it's the first time my blood sugar, it went to 131, and I started at 270. There you go. It's totally ridiculous. But let me say that, and then I was so stressed about overcompensating. And I will say it's today, because now I've upped my Landis right. over the past two days. And the hormones, I mean, so I uh, just, it has well, been the first time I'm just like, gee, this is ridiculous. And I mean, sometimes I in life an you get to a point where doses need to change. You know, sometimes you do just need more Lantus or you do need to. Well, I'm against you know, that because you know what that means? That means I'm tacking on weight and here I'm exercising. I'm doing other things. That. That's total f- fucking bullshit. Does, right. it, does it really mean that though? Yes. I mean, when, when I you increase no, doses, I mean, uh, there's a higher likelihood of because you, do, you have more of, insulin of retaining on board. weight. Okay, um, yeah. You know, if you're hyperinsulinemic, then those people are going to be, you know, retaining a lot of weight. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, if it's just a you know a, a temporary increase until you get blood sugars back under control, mm-hmm. or maybe you know over time your carb your carb ratios change, or your you know, I mean, we're we're taught that you know this is your carb ratio, this is your correction factor, and this is your lantus dose. Mm-hmm. But in reality, all of those things inside your body are not static; they they That's change totally all the time. True, yeah. So, so true. I mean, there's periods of, there's periods in my life where yeah, I use a lot of insulin and I'll use 200 units a day. Then there's days where I'll use 150 units, and I was just a lot more sensitive to insulin that day just for no so, reason at all so, right yeah. not any more increased activity not anything i mean there's just periods of your life where you go through where you've got you know marked insulin resistance or insulin sensitivity right and there's no real you know sometimes it's hard to find that contributing factor sometimes oh, it's pretty so evident. hard um but it, it because there's so many different ways that it can affect your so many different things that can affect your blood sugar right it's hard to figure out that one thing well and that's it's it's, it's always problem solving and since we're talking periods so much i want to throw in this as because you're an educator and dealing with young women, never right. in my life, as in 31 years of diabetes, and I'm, has anyone ever said, hey, you know what? Your period is going to affect every single part of your diabetes. Right. Never. So I've been a shit show, not only with having the hormones and being the normal, you know, woman, so, blah, blah, blah. 
Okay. No. So uh, my question is, and personal experience is that probably four or five days prior to starting my period, it's uh, my blood sugar in the morning only. I can't keep below 200. I try to overcomp. I try to compensate for that. And then the second, I'd say day two or three of the period, your hormones shift considerably. And then it's a downhill slide and I could take no insulin and be completely fine and still be probably at 60. So do you talk to, I mean, is that even a point of conversation? Um, being, I mean, the patients that I deal with most most often are going to be older, so it's less of a conversation topic. But occasionally, I'll get some young ladies in the office. Um, I can't imagine having this conversation with you I, <laughs> as a it, young person. But as a health professional, you can you can right. talk about this to. stuff. Right? And the, the reality is that if I bring it up, sometimes it's a little bit easier than if you're going to try to bring it up yourself. Right. I mean, if if you realize that I'm willing to talk about it and that I don't have any shame about it. Right. I mean, granted. I mean, it's still kind of a difficult situation to talk about. But at the same time, you know, I mean, we have female educators at the office that men won't talk to them about erectile dysfunction. Uh, and they're yeah. a lot more comfortable talking to me about that, which I get. At the same time, if a young lady doesn't want to talk to me about that, then I'll, you know, see if I can go grab one of the other yeah. you know, females in the office to talk to them about it. But it is certainly a situation where... And what, do you, what do you educate? And what do they tell you? And what's the book? What, is the, what are you being there, sold? There's not really a... a you know, perfect formula for it. Right. Um, you have to know how your body works right. and just kind of react that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we, I wish I had my, my textbooks from, you know, nursing school still, because there is, I mean, there's, there's a graph of, you know, when hormones start changing, you know, how many days before, how many right. days after and all these things where you, you can start to plan. And, you know, if you have that information, you can kind of cater your insulin regimen around that. Well, and let's go to, and I'm going to say this and I'm revealing to way too much. I'm not on any artificial hormones. So this is my actual natural cycle and everything that my body is doing so for somebody that's on birth control is that going to be a completely different i would say probably to some degree simply because Mm -hmm. that birth control is going to augment their cycle in some way right whether it's going to make it shorter or whether it's going to make it lighter um i mean there's going to be something in there that's going to be different simply because of the way that hormone is is designed to change the length of time or something like that i'm going to write i'm just saying this out loud a post to all the female uh, type 1 diabetics about Let's share our stories on the shit show of what's going down because it's already a nightmare. <laughs> but I mean, there's so many other factors that are going into that, and everyone's situation is very different. Right. So, so yeah, we've talked a lot about the uncertainty aspect of not knowing really how, in a textbook form, to tell people their blood sugar is going to change when they have the flu or when yeah. they're having their period or whatever. So, how, as a as a person who works with these people, do you install this um, expectation for uncertainty? Basically, how do you talk to people about that? Because that can be really frightening as a patient, I think. Right. One of, the, one of the things that I try to do is just let them know that certain situations, whether it be stress or whether it be illness, is going to have an effect on their blood sugar. And I try to prepare them for what that might be. There's no way of knowing how much it's going to change or what, you know, exactly what it's going to do. But if you can prepare for it to some degree, you can at least expect what might happen. Now, it may not be perfect. You may not have the exact answer you need, but you can try to prepare for it as best as possible. And then you just deal with whatever happens as it happens. Um, but that is like the art of diabetes yeah. management, probably, right? It, it there's really no textbook Juggling, right, juggling everyone. Well, and, that, and that's the bad thing is that there's so many doctors out there that they teach tech, textbook theory and they teach textbook, you know, this is how you do this, this is how you do that. But then there's the reality, the real world of when it actually happens to you, how, diff- how, different, it actually, how different it actually yeah. is. Right. 
I mean, I can tell my patients all day to eat 15 carbs, wait 15 minutes, and recheck their blood sugar. But if their blood sugar is 35, <laughs> that's not an ideal rule. Well, and if they can't afford their test strips, too, that's right. If you can't test six times between now and you know two hours from now to try to get it back up to where it needs to be, I mean, and, and granted, I mean, if it's 35, I wouldn't tell them to eat 15 carbs anyway. I would tell them to you know definitely up that. Eat but, 75 carbohydrates. <laughs> right. You got to get it up. Never stop eating carbohydrates and, until and, and that's the, and that's the, basically the physical. Yeah. That's that's our physical desire most of the time is when our blood sugar is that low. You want I just want to eat till I feel better. Eat. Right. Okay, let's talk about that because and I was saying this earlier. I'm a planner. Brian mm-hmm. is. I'm not going to call him out, but we're very Thanks. different in how Thank we. You. I know. I'm sorry. I feel like no, I'm, no. I, I felt like that was very polite. Okay. Um, yeah. So in my purse, which I know it's very different for men, I uh, I have at least two. There's 12 to 14 carbs in each snack. So I have a cranberry bar from Whole Foods and another little pack, blah, blah, blah. So what's your go-to? Do you carry something with you on a regular basis and what's in your car? Um, when I'm in my truck, I have a Fiber One bar in there um, that's a little lemon square. Okay. And then I've also got glucose tabs, just a bottle of glucose tabs in there. Um, when I'm at my house, when I'm in, like, in my bedroom, I have mm-hmm. a little in my little drawer right beside it i've got like six bottles of glucose tabs in there oh that's awesome that i never use um i always get up and go to the kitchen and get some more juice or something like that it's sitting right there and i've got the opportunity to use it and i never do um those bottles are probably from you know the year i was diagnosed 2010. probably i don't know but um, it doesn't go so, bad. They, so they've been sitting there forever <laughs> sugar right that's an um, excellent model for everybody to try to achieve i mean really right. that is awesome but having i'm yeah. gonna say this that's, that's having really good. sugar Anything in your nightstand or on, I mean, that is key because the low blood sugars I feel for me are in the middle of the night. Sometimes right. it's hard to get out of bed. It when is. You're that low. And yeah. just knowing it's there if you are able to get your mind to work that way. Right. But, well, okay, so. Like we've talked about how the mind doesn't really work the way it's supposed to sometimes when <laughs> right. your blood sugar is low. I've actually had one where the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the fire, the fire alarm um, had that, you know, little blinking red light on it. And I, for some reason in my head, could not reason through what was going on. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I actually thought that there was a maze of lasers, like in the movie Entrapment, that Catherine Zeta-Jones had to get through. And I thought that was between my, my bed and the door. And it took me 20 minutes to get out of my bed and realize that's not what's going on. But because my blood sugar was so low and I couldn't reason through it, that was where I was you at. Know, I feel like we could have a whole... Oh, that's cool podcast about the hallucinate oh hallucinate oh. i can't even say the word i, I borderline enjoy them because when i go back and think about them i'm like i don't know how i got to that point in my life pure it's that, that was that's actually kind of an enjoyable thing i think we could do like there we could be a serious test case for people that actually take drugs to hallucinate to this level we unfortunately and that's what's kept me from any drugs like anywho um but like is it a similar mind process? I mean, where is your mind in that situation? I'm sure, it probably is. I mean, I don't know, you know, what the exact effects of, you know, something like LSD are on right. your brain, but at the same time, you know, the neurons in your brain whenever your blood sugar is low just aren't connecting the way they're supposed to. They're not firing the way they're supposed to. And glucose or sugar is your only brain's only source of energy. So right. if it's not having the glucose that it needs to feed off of it, then those huh. thoughts aren't going to make sense. They're well, Ryan and I have talked about too these moments of like lucid thoughts and real like put some shit together. There's, uh, you're like, oh, sh- I'm at six Maybe feet. you've experienced this too. Yeah, Amber and I have talked about this. I'd say maybe once every six months there's that like transcendental like deep. really clear, deep 
Like you, you're like thinking with your soul moment when you have a low blood sugar. Right. And like you could just do anything in that moment. Right. But then like most of the time you just feel like you're completely lost in the world when you're low. Right. But every once in a while you get like that one low blood sugar where it's like, I'm so focused. The deepest thoughts ever. I can do anything ever. right now. Yeah. We need to have a thing of deep between, thoughts by a type now, 1 diabetic. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, you got to tell the story. To, I think Kelly will enjoy this about oh, your, your low blood sugar in a dream. Oh, this is... And please fill in anything is, that I'm forgetting because it was, of course... Some one inception of the, thing. Um, <laughs> there was a part of my dream recently that I had a low blood sugar... Ryan, help me out with this because it's been a while and it was a it dream. It is kind of hard to remember your own dream. Okay, so point, I remember yeah. thinking I, I, in the dream, knowing I had a low blood sugar. Didn't want to correct it necessarily. Oh, I remember the details now. Okay. Um, and uh, arguing with myself throughout the dream, whatever, and then waking up and thinking, wow, something's just not right. Yeah maybe I need to get up and test my blood sugar. And of course it was low and I decided to respond. But is there anything else you want to throw into that? I mean, it's the first time I've ever felt it in a dream. Normally I'm, I'm very thankful that I'm one of the diabetics that I can ping out of bed and I don't even have to test. I know just eat my shit and go to bed. Right. That's pretty, pretty typical for me too. Yeah. But have you ever felt a low blood sugar and known you were low in a dream? I, I probably had just kind of it's that like sense of like that I was dreaming time. and because of what the dream was, I figured I was probably low <laughs> just because of how off the wall it was. Um, that's, that's true. But I've never, I've never been in, in a dream and thought to myself in the dream that my blood sugar was low in the dream. I don't know, but I've definitely had dreams where just because of the content of it, I was like, my blood sugar is probably low. I probably need to get up out of bed and, and <laughs> go do something about this. I think there could be a whole study and I'm, of like if they were to put a bunch of diabetics into a sleep study it'd be really cool to see our hormones versus what we're dreaming about in you know I mean just like I feel like my dreams are incredibly vivid depending on my blood sugar so are we in a different mental state yeah you know totally agree A little thing called diabetes It's a daily grind It's a daily grind And a grind and grind So I'm curious too Because you're in the diabetes social media arena a little bit like mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm sure you follow a couple of the, right. the highlights and you're associated with some of the news organizations right so what's your perspective on the value of the diabetes online community um would you recommend somebody who um, has diabetes to check it out and try to get involved yeah, with that i mean I, I definitely think that any kind of support helps so anytime you have someone that you can reach out and rely on even if it's someone you don't know i mean even if it's just someone from you know germany that saw your twitter post and they you know wanted to respond to you no doubt just just having someone you know whether it's giving you another opinion or you know Mm kind of just talking you through some things sometimes helps out right if you've got close personal friends that are supportive of you i mean obviously that's gonna be better but close personal friends that are are diabetics or okay i mean if if they have diabetes that's that's the best but even if you just have a close friend who you know has been there with you since you've been diagnosed Mm -hmm. and they kind of know what you're going through Mm -hmm. um just because they've been there with you throughout most of it sometimes that's good too right Um, but having someone who has type 1 diabetes that you can you know confide in and rely on and say you know what this just blows i hate my life right now and this is why (laughs) and they say yeah i was there three weeks ago i know exactly what you're talking about so ryan have you ever had that i mean growing up did you reach out to anyone in that scenario (sighs) you know what I didn't have a Facebook until I was a freshman in college. 
so that was probably the beginning of social media online communities at that right. point. I mean, Twitter wasn't around until I was a junior in college or so. So I didn't have that kind of thing in particular. I think my, my biggest outreach was probably my physician and the people that I worked with over so at Children's you- Hospital. I didn't, I didn't have a huge group of people except outside of like Kelly and uh, Landon Davidson. A couple of people went to grade school in my family. I mean, I'm pretty tight with my parents, so I would talk to them a lot. So, about would you it. say to them, "I'm having, I just hate everything about this right now"? I'm oh, for sure. Yeah, I whatever. would tell, I would tell my parents that. If if I'm sitting there in the kitchen, I'm 400. I can't get my blood sugar down, and no, none of my pump sites are working. Nothing's happening. I, and you're in that moment, and you just can't come down. Then, oh yeah, definitely. Right. What about you, Kelly? Them. Who was yeah. your go-to? My go-to was my friend Jeff. Um, he got diagnosed about two years before I did. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, poked, poked a little Gosh. fun his way. Called him, called him sweet thing, sugar boy. And <laughs> sure enough, I followed in his footsteps. Um, but <laughs> okay. I mean, since then, uh, he's definitely been someone that I can always turn to and rely on and just say, dude, I mean, this is what's been going on with me, and I, you know, I'm not in a good spot right now. And he knows exactly where I'm coming from. So I've, I never, I did not have that at all. Like the, Ryan's the first person I've ever talked about it in my life. It's much easier to access now, don't you think, having the online groups? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, Who do you look to, or what websites do you check out frequently about diabetes? Um, I don't know that there's any... I mean, there's uh, a couple different websites. um, I want to say one's called Real Life Diabetes. Mm -hmm. Um, There's there's, just a couple that every once in a while I'll just kind of pop on there and see if they have any interesting articles or any interesting blog posts or anything like that. And then when it comes to Twitter, there's, you know, anybody, oh my gosh. All, all you really it's have to do on Twitter is search the word diabetes and anybody who has it, you know, in their Twitter, Twitter handle or in their little biography, you know, it's going to show up and then yep. you can kind of connect with those people or you can, you know, reach out to them and, and just say, you know, this is kind of what's been going on or you can just put a post on there and if they follow you, they'll see it and right. they may give you a shout out and say that quick. You know, kind of, this is what's been going on with me and I know kind of where you're at. So I definitely think it's a it's a good thing. It's a beneficial thing to have that kind of support, even if it's not someone close to you and knows exactly what's going on. I, I total I tend to agree completely. And you know, looking at the community right now and what's shared on the social media, it seems like it's leaned very heavy towards the CGMs and the pump users. Oh, absolutely. All the pictures you see are always CGMs and pumps and people talking about where they're trending and showing the graphs, and that's on there all the time. But for someone who's not using that. I think it would be almost hard to connect with people because there's not that many people out there who are still doing shots. Well, that's it's, true. Um, we're the, you know, the old school. And, uh, but I will say that I recently have commented on a couple of tweets and have engaged someone in conversation because I'm not really sure what they're going through. And if they're having this struggle, I want to, I'm not going to say better understand it, but I want them to know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. And um, for someone who... I mean, I, I don't know, oh, as we were joking around about the blood sugars earlier and how we're not comparing ourselves, but everybody, I mean, it's a, it's a race. Everybody wants to be at this level, whatever that may be for themselves, but just engaging somebody else in a conversation about what are your goals and why are you frustrated? Can I throw in something randomly just yeah, because of social media? So I went to a book signing recently for a guy. I didn't know who he was. I had no idea what he'd written, but it was a good friend, uh, my friend Brady Sexton, who owns Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails in downtown Norman. Um, I just wanted to go and support him, and I'm thinking, oh, and I love cooking. It's clear through all of my posts and trying to take some recipes and make them healthier and things like that to be more diabetic-friendly in my mind. And so I buy the book and I as he was signing it I said will you please make it out to me but hey would you put good luck to the diabetes daily grind and he was just like 
okay, well, what's that about? And I was like, well, I have this this website and blog with a friend and here's what he was like do not read anything in here (laughs) and um, he's very passionate and so we then we had a wonderful two-hour conversation throughout him signing other people's books about um, real ingredients why he chose to do this and this is his third cookbook essentially and I am a firm believer in travel and stuff so he goes into small towns and talks to people about their original recipes and so I asked him I said would you mind if I um, tweaked some of your recipes and made them more diabetic friendly and blogged about them and he kindly agreed to let me do that and so if you get a moment I would encourage you to check out the Southern Living on the road again with Morgan Murphy because the guy really did care what I had to say and we talked about all kinds of real ingredients and things and what that means, artificial sweeteners. He was the one that said, you know, using real sugar, he knew all the names of the 75,000 other types of sugar. And Ryan and I have joked about it with um, artificial sweeteners. So the guy knows his stuff. We may not have the same mindset, but a real respect for what you put into your body. So check it out. Oh, yeah. And Kelly was talking about that just a second ago. Your approach. When it comes to artificial sugars. Right, yeah. If I'm going to eat something, I'm going to eat the real thing. I mean, when it comes to, you know, candies or something like that, I'm not grabbing something that's sugar-free. And why is that? Let's just talk about that. Typically, the reason is that a lot of of those, you know, candies and things like that are made with the things that end with lol, artificial sweeteners that are the Mm -hmm. sugar alcohols. And what happens is those will you know, often cause things like diarrhea and stuff like that. Yep. So, you know, it's not exactly, and granted, you kind of have to <laughs> eat a little bit of it to really get that side effect. But, you know, if you're going to have something and it's going to have carbs in it anyway, you might as well have something with sugar in it. Well, and I feel I like... Mean, it's, I, all, it's all about the M word, which is moderation and eating stuff smartly rather than gorging on things. I totally agree with that. And I feel like, um, and I'm sure that you do this with educating the younger or the people coming into this is... You can eat anything you want because you understand the carbs that you're putting into your body and the effects that it has. Um, Substituting something, it's a foreign concept essentially. Mm -hmm. You don't know you're going to poop your pants. (laughs) Right. Well, and the the strange thing about sugar alcohols is that your body processes it the same way. Right. So you're you're going to basically go through the same process of it. It still actually is going to raise your blood sugar some, not quite as much as an actual, you know, molecule of sugar will but you're still going to have some glucose raising from it and then the fact that sugar-free is not always carb-free so even though you're eating something that's sugar-free your blood sugar is still going to go up okay so if i'm going to eat something that's got 12 grams of carbs first with you know artificial sweeteners and 16 grams of carbs with regular sugar i'm going to eat the real thing well and i'm going to just throw this out as well (laughs) and i've said to ryan a lot recently as i've been geeking out with my rocking social life about um, watching these documentaries about food, foodie documentaries and Veducated, Fed Up and all kinds of stuff. And we talk about the impact of sugar. And if you do look, and I'm not going to get too political, but if you do look at a label as a diabetic, I look at the carbs where I feel like my mom or somebody else would look at, oh, it has this many sugar, blah, blah, blah. And when you look a little bit further right, when it, the percentages of things it never says the percentage of sugar. So, um, and for good reason, and I won't get into the politics and you can do your own research, but um, know what you're putting into your body and who is feeding the system. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Makes yeah, good sense. Know the quality of the carbohydrates yeah. you're putting in your body. Yeah. Because a carb does not always equal carb. Right. I've heard people say that. There's it a lot of people in yeah. the diabetes world that will say that's truth. 
That's not true. And calories yeah. in, I mean, calories out. True. That's not the case either. Yeah. Kelly, how do you, um, wh- or can you give like a couple yeah. of things that you say to a newbie diabetic when they have to start counting? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, Advice. One of the things that I'll encourage them to do is really to focus on total carbohydrates and serving sizes versus, you know, how much sugar is in something because that's right. what people initially think is, is the enemy. And I mean, it really is, it really even isn't even the enemy. I mean, your body requires sugar to function. Mm-hmm. You have to have glucose. That's your body's natural source of energy. Right. So you can't just completely cut it out. And there are people that will, that will do that. I mean, the Atkins diet and things like that, those were, you know, strictly very, very low carb mm-hmm. diets that actually can have a tendency to put some people with diabetes in a some dangerous spots. Ooh, absolutely. So, I, I um, see people all the time talking about the power of them going low carb. I see hashtag low carb diabetic all the time right. on the internet. And I've been curious because it's never something I've experimented with, mainly because, I mean, I eat a diet that isn't really conducive for that. But it would seem like the short term benefits would be pretty good. Short, but then there might be some long-term consequences, perhaps. Right. Short-term, I mean, it's definitely going to help you cut carbohydrates out. You're going to cut calories. You're going to lose weight. Sure. But the problem with that is that your body has to have some source of energy. Right. Okay? And when you can't function on carbohydrates or glucose, it's going to start taking to, from fat. It's going to start breaking down fat and producing ketones. And that's what leads to things like DK or diabetic ketoacidosis. Right. So a lot of people <laughs> don't have that kind of foresight to look that far into the future and think about that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, that's what we want to try to teach people to do is, you know, yes, the decisions you make right now affect you right now, but they also affect you 10 years from now. Can I just throw this out really quickly as we're talking about diets and stuff? So Ryan and I have mentioned, um, what's your, my goal for my blood sugar is 110, which is above what I think that most people, yours said, you know, everyone teaches you 80 to 120 is the average person and to get the best A1C and so 110 is where I feel the best. What's yours? Well, I, uh, I don't know. I, I have my pump set at 70, which is really Ooh. just because I know that there's going to be some meals where I probably don't count quite as, as good as I could. And simply that's because I've gotten lazy over the years. Okay. I, I really just need to go back to the basics myself on occasion and sure. get back <laughs> into doing things and, you know, look through the little flashcards that have how many carbs for each thing right. and, you know, just kind of give myself a refresher. And that's, I know, need the same. That, I'm that's not just lie. kind of a self admission right there. Right. Um, and that's why I have my target set at 70. Right. Many of us. I know that I can, you know, be a little bit more lax and still take the same amount of insulin and get where I need to be, which is my actual goal of around 100 to 120. Yeah. So that's usually where I feel best, depending on what I'm doing. If I'm going to be active, I'm going to try to have it around 150 or yeah, absolutely. You know, somewhere around there. Yep. If, if you're I'm going just, into a test. When I'm going into a test, I try to yeah. have it like somewhere around 100 to 120. And that's one of the things that I loved mm-hmm. about having a continuous glucose monitor yeah. was I would just, you know, I would, and I wouldn't really pay attention to it during the test, but I would go back after the test and I would look at the fact that I started this test at 105 and finished it at 225. Yeah. Do you think it's just just the physical stress response and it's crazy, but it was so fun to, to look at that. I mean, and all diabetes is, is one big science experiment for the, for the entirety of your (laughs) life is, you know, figuring things out and, you know, trying to find solutions to to problems and, you know, I mean, and that's just one where, sure, I could have changed. We're problem solvers. We should, we're detectives. We really are. And I could have changed the amount of insulin that I was getting during that test, but you know, I, I would rather kind of finish it up at 200 than finish it up at 75 or something like that. So, 100% agree. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Ryan, what's uh, just a refresher? What's your goal? Blood sugar? I would say my brain works best. I feel best whenever I'm probably 130 to 140. That's my money. Which zone. would affect your A1C long term, which then is like the number mm-hmm. that most diabetics are like. 
you want this number, da, 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 and everybody, mm-hmm. it's just ridiculous. But right. Sure, and it, yeah, and if my constant goal is to have it at 130 to 140, then in the long term, I would, I'm going to have a little higher A1C than the person who aims for 90 right. all the time. Yeah, yeah. But, I have a friend who his, his A1C usually is about 5.9 at, at the highest. Like shit. And I And, and when, a, I, when yeah, I was diagnosed, yeah. my first couple A1Cs were, I think my first one was 5.2, and my second one was 5.5. Mm-hmm. And that's because my mom had micromanaged me so much that if my blood sugar was over 100, she had me take an insulin to correct for it. Right. Wow. And my doctor mm-hmm. said, you know, one, technically, yeah, that could be great. But <laughs> because the fact that your blood sugars are so low so often, you're not going to be able to tell as often. You're, you feel You're horrible. not going to feel good. So he was like, yeah, hey, back off a little bit. So since then, I usually hover somewhere between 6.5 and 7.2. Yep. And yeah. the reality I is I'm a six point three, I think, right now, but six point five is my go to. Right. The, the reality is that six point five, that's our real one hundred percent target goal. If we can get it down to six point five without any, you know, incidence of low mm. blood sugar, you know, with the occasional everyone now and then, but as long as you're not dealing with frequent low blood sugar, six point five is our goal. Yep. If you can do it, if you can't do it at six point five without having low blood sugar, then we back it back to seven. And below seven you're still gonna reduce your risk of long term complications. So are we gonna touch yep. and I wanna move on, but mm-hmm. I wanna talk talk about at the end uh, complications and as type one diabetics, what's your worst fear? Yeah, yeah, we can definitely get to that. Or we can just get to it now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean we're all type ones. We've, Kelly, what's your worst oh. fear? Yeah, because a doom and gloom is how the diagnosis is, I feel like, ball and chain. I don't know. I, I would say that probably my worst fear would be, um, I guess, I guess sight. Um, mm. You know, I mean, all of the things that are really complications of diabetes are things that we take for granted all sure. the time. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's very simple stuff that is that's just the way our body works. Mm-hmm. And we don't think about the fact that 30, 40 years from now, one, any one of those things could be gone. Absolutely. Um, and that's where, you know, my doctor really kind of put the fear of me early on was every choice that you make from this point on determines what happens 60 years from now. It's a huge weight to wear. Right. And I, you know, I, I think that I learned that early on enough that I've done relatively well taking care of myself and I'm not perfect and nobody is, but right. you know, I do what I can to at least mitigate that risk to some degree, but I would say sight's probably my biggest one. So have you had any complications thus far? Not, not that I know of. Um, I had one period of time where, uh, I had kind of a numb area on the outside of my left thigh Yeah. and I had talked to uh, one of my friends who's, uh, I guess he's he's calling a friend. He's one of the endocrinologists at OU on the inpatient side. Oh. Um, his name Dr. Hal Schofield, and um, great guy. He's one of the funniest and most informational guys on the I face of the earth. I need to know him. I need to know him. And uh, I talked to him about it, and he said, "Well, it, it really sounds more like a pinched nerve." And when I looked it up, the actual like slang term for it is skinny pants syndrome. <laughs> So it's no. not, not really the fact that I'm wearing skinny pants, because b- believe me, I'm not. But it's just that, you know, because I have a belt on, and it's just kind of pinching it's in pinching that area. In area right. And that's kind of oh, the, the basic process of it, yeah. was that that nerve that runs over your hip bone kind of gets pinched off every now and then. And it was, I mean, I, I was to a point where I could stick needles in the outside of my thigh, and I couldn't feel it. And <laughs> I was freaking out. And I was like, and I was like this is not good. I, I've got neuropathy, and it's just presenting in my thigh outside of, out of right. nowhere. Right. I, I, I always heard that it started in the feet. This is just crazy. Do you check your feet? Yeah, I don't. I, what do I, you check for? Because my feet are beautiful, and I'm just like, oh, my toenails look great today. Like, what am I supposed to be looking for? I've never Opens. seen Amber wear shoes. See that? that that's, <laughs> that's, bullshit. that's a rough thing. Actually, I've, I really have never seen Amber wear shoes. Yeah. 
So when it comes to things <laughs> to check for, you want to look for things like um, you know new developments, things that aren't really normal for you. Um, you want to check for things like cracks in your heel. You want to check for things everybody like has cracks in their heels. I and, mean, and that's not a huge huge issue. But where that is a potential issue is that if that cracks deep enough and there is any blood there, that's any kind of potential for an infection. Any kind of organism that's on your skin, um, things like MRSA that we're all afraid of, it's on everybody's skin. Okay. I don't even know but what we're talking about. It's what's called an opportunistic infection, and it only, <laughs> you know, it, it only really does anything if it gets into your skin. It and people have weakened too. immune systems, right? Which is which us, is, right? Which is the, the people that we're, you know, talking about right now. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's an issue where that could be a potential um, concern. Okay. Do you tell people because I've been reading a lot about this lately on Twitter, especially, um, and I'm thankful that my mom worked for a dentist, so I had incredible i mean i had my teeth cleaned way more than i probably should have um so with what is it called uh starts with a p diabetic something that has to do with your gums and so they're saying yes that's exactly Uh, what it is periodontal disease probably that's right yeah and so Uh, they're mm -hmm. saying check your feet make sure that you get regular gum and uh teeth cleanings essentially and at at some point i'd like to bring on dr haskett which is the my um dentist who is also a uh, teacher at the dentist the oklahoma oh god i can't even say that he teaches as well and uh i've asked him every time i go there i'm like what do you look for what are you looking at it would just my what would show up in diabetes and we talked about sores and other things like that so i think he'd be great to bring on long term because i don't feel like the average diabetic thinks everybody needs to get their teeth clean but what are we looking for and why is there why would diabetic complications be a part of it so right we could probably go to the dentist a little more you could uh, yeah, we can schedule so. that probably so okay yep. so we need to have you checked out it's probably a good idea yeah we could use some help there okay so I'm sorry <laughs> moving on um, so feet so feet, feet are a big one, um, and that's really just once a year kind of a foot test that most endos are going to do. Um, nurses can do it. depends on kind of where you're at. Anybody that's mm-hmm. really qualified professional can do it. Um, with your teeth, follow up with your dentist regularly. Every six months is ideal. How uh, long? How, when was the last time you had your teeth cleaned? Last time I had my teeth cleaned was earlier this year. I actually switched dentists um, to a, a patient of mine. Um, he, he'd come to see me and he'd have, and have some troubles with the blood sugars and his office actually wasn't too far from where I lived and I kind of just out. set up an appointment with him and he's a real nice guy I love him to death uh, you want to plug him really quick? Um, sure Dr. Holmesy uh, I, think it, I think it's Richard um, but he's, he's a he's a really nice guy um, uh, and he's you know he's, he's and he's a diabetic yep. well that's great oh, cool. that's a w- great plug as well Ryan yeah, what, that'd are your, be nice. what are your fears? What's, what's the word on your street? I, I think the there's well, I think being now in med school, in every single class you take, and every disease mechanism has a diabetes complication in general. Yeah. And so you see diabetes implicated in so many things. There's not a lecture that goes by where diabetes isn't implicated in something. So I, I think I'm almost numb to it now. I think it's just a, it's kind of like a, like this stuff could happen, and I'm aware happen, of it. Yeah. I know it can happen, and I mean. I, I would say I'm like fearful, but I understand it's out of my control. Um, I'm just going to do the best I can, take care of myself the best I can, and hopefully I have feet whenever I'm 60 years old. Because I'd love to still be running <laughs> right. when I'm 60, you know. And so it's like that. It's that kind of. I, I think it would be for me more, yeah, bone and joint and movement, bone and obviously and eyes because you can't do that stuff if you if you can't see. Right. So all those things I think are big fears, and I think the 
the the scariest of them all, the most life threatening would have to be kidney disease. Yeah. And the bulk of all kidney issues is 100% related to diabetes, and not 100%, but the bulk is diabetes related. So that's a big it's a big thing. It is a big yeah. thing. So yeah, all right. Kelly is a a technology buff. Like I know you're into it. You see the stuff every day. Yeah. You see I, the I, latest I find gadgets. It to be a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Okay. So I, I want I want to get you your perspective on a couple of things. So the big thing that has been being worked on now in the diabetes um, technology for probably 15 years, 20 years, is the closed loop system. Right. What in the so hell does that mean? Can you, I'll, let, I'll, I'll let Kelly go ahead and explain it. What so, does the closed loop mean? So you've got a traditional insulin pump, which is delivering insulin. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have a system where continuous glucose monitors can be added to that, and we can at least use those continuous glucose monitors to keep track of where our blood sugars are. The closed loop system is actually 100% self-contained, where there's actually a dual hormone system with both glucagon and insulin. And glucagon, for those of you oh, who don't wow. really you know deal with it a whole lot, that's the kind of opposite hormone that's going to raise your blood sugar. Um, and what it's doing is that it's infusing both of those when you need it to control your blood sugar and keep it within that tight range. And it's paired with a continuous glucose monitor to make sure that it's keeping track of it. And there's a specific algorithm that each company has kind of come up with to really make that work the best way possible. Um, I know. Can I ask a question right off the bat with that? Because in my mind, I think of it's robotic and that there's a formula. And as we have obviously said this earlier, everyone's situation is completely different. Right. Is there an option in that algorithm to change it dependent upon the, the person? I don't know specifically what any of the algorithms look like or anything like that. I'm sure that they're all going to be to some degree specialized. Um, but what it's going to do is essentially the readings that it's going to get are going to basically determine what kind of insulin or, or glucagon is going to be given. Right. So it's going to be specializing itself to each individual person that puts right. it on. So it hmm. wouldn't deliver the same amount of insulin for you as it would for Ryan as it would for me. Right. Um, it's going to take all that into account specifically for each one of those different people that uses it. Well, and my question too with that, and Ryan, I've talked about this as well, is like when you're, and again, I'm, I shoot up, so it's very different, is that if shit hits this fan and none of those system, systems work, are you completely then reliant? I mean, you have to go back to testing your own blood sugar. And would the average person, if they're started on that, know what to do? Right, and that's kind of a big issue with that is that you really have to be able to know the basics before you can move yeah. to anything else. Right. So even before you get on a pump, you have to know how to work a carb ratio and work an ins- or a right. correction factor and do all that stuff without the technology. Right. And then you move to a point where you've got the technology, and it is, I mean, it's very, it's very easy to become dependent on it. I mean, with my pump, all I have to do is put in the carbs, put in my blood sugar, and it calculates it for me. Sure, I know wow. how to, but yep. I don't have to you do that to, simply right. because it does it for me. Uh-huh. Um, now, when it comes to it doing everything for you and you're not even really having to do anything from the outside in, I mean, that is, that's probably the FDA's biggest concern, and that's why sure. it's taken so long to even move forward. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a concern that that person has to know at least how to do this. Should something happen to that equipment? Um, that's definitely a big concern. It seems to be highly dependent on the accuracy of the continuous glucose monitor. Right. And my experience has been that the continuous glucose monitors, they just aren't that accurate yet. Right. I mean, there are days where it is completely locked in and it doesn't even vary it at all from where my blood sugar is, whether it's high, whether it's low, if it's in a good spot, it's money. But then there's sometimes where I put in a monitor and it won't be within 30 for five days straight. Right. Wow. And so, I mean, 
I, I know it's getting better, but we're still a long ways away from that, right? And I, I think they're having they're struggling too with uh, the ability to make glucagon in a preparation that can be delivered into the body, right? Because they've they've specially engineered the insulin to be able to go in the body and then be cleaved by different enzymes and then to work and more like the way our insulin's supposed to work. But I just don't, they can't, I don't think they've found the way to do it with glucagon yet. Well, and one of the biggest issues with glucagon is, it has to be like a powdered solution, is, right? is that, you know, typically it's been reconstituted with any of those glucagon injections. They're, they're having a lot of difficulty finding a stable form of it. That's right. That yeah. can just sit at room temperature for days on end. Um, I, there are a couple companies that are working on that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. And I, I, I've kind of read up on a couple of them. I don't know how close they are when that'll be available but I know there's some people that are working on it significant strides are being taken though yeah. I mean this is the closest we've ever I mean, it's, and, it's kind and, of getting uh, there yeah. and is glucagon the one that's setting it back I mean like when you said the the room temperature situation because insulin you know you have to what we've been told has to be kept at a certain temperature is mm-hmm. I didn't realize that glucagon had to is it that temperature sensitive as well? I, I think it's more of a, I, I, it might be a temperature thing. It might just be a time thing. Um, I, typically, whenever we're giving glucagon now, we're reconstituting it. And within a minute, we're putting it inside somebody's body. Right. So I don't know if it's just the stability factor of it. Of Over time, it just degrades. Or if it's temperature-based and it has yep. to be kept at a certain temperature. I'm not sure. Um, but I know that's probably their biggest hurdle right now is that. Um, and then with the continuous glucose monitors themselves, I mean, right now, most of them, most of the commercial ones, whether it's Medtronic or whether it's right. Dexcom, have about a 15-minute lag time. Right. So what your blood sugar shows on that monitor is not 100% reflective of what your blood sugar right. is right this very second, especially if it's trending or something like that. Oh, if it's flat arrows, point. then you know, you're, you're pretty consistent. You're good to go. But if it shows two arrows, then your blood sugar could be 15 or 20 points different from what's reading on the screen. Sure. So... Something that I want to be sure to tap into before we wrap up this podcast is as type one diabetics, and I'm not here to educate anyone. This is just a real life experience. I want to, I feel like <laughs> I'd like to ask, <laughs> and we can have a group conversation, obviously, but what are you really doing? So we're given the book. Here's what you should do. Here's what your blood sugar should be. Here's what you should eat. Here's what you, you know, I mean, all the things. <laughs> So, okay, so Ryan and I have <laughs> joked around about this a we lot. Have, yeah. Okay, so I, t- I only change my lancet when my finger is bruised or hurts. Okay. I know that you don't test your... Uh, do you test your blood sugar like that, or you have a Dexcom, right? I have one, but I, I don't have it on right now. So typically, I mean, I've got... And the other thing is I have, you know, probably in my house, I have 25 different meters. We're so, going to rob him later. So I've got meters all over the place. So, <laughs> there is so many meters. So not only that, it's hard to keep track of right. which ones I'm changing lancets on. But right. I, on the meters that I use consistently, I try to change it um, depending on how often, how often I'm using it, once every five tests. Really? So if I'm using... You're if, good. Well, and I mean... I mean, like, I gave, like, go, two Kelly. weeks. Man, well, that, being said, that being said, like I said, I have so many different ones <laughs> that I don't know that they really get changed that often. But that's what I try for. Um, I would say, realistically, I probably go through once every couple weeks and try to change the ones that I'm actually using. Okay. Ryan, what's but, a question, question from your end? As a pumper, like... I probably, you, probably once a month I change my lances. I'd say. But you're not testing on a regular basis like I am. Sure. I mean, is yeah, I test probably, I test four times a day now. Th- probably three. So once a month. Depending on how accurate my CGM is at the time. I test, I test about, I, I test about three times a day. Okay. Now yep. I was going to ask you, do you have a question for Kelly because you're a fellow pumper? Like I wouldn't know the language mm-hmm. or what, what is protocol? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, right now I've used silhouettes 
because I feel like it gives me the best chance to, to slide in and not have any What's issues with insulin delivery. It's still what is the 45 degree angle insertion of okay. a pump site. So it inserts the plastic catheter in at a 45 degree angle just under the skin in the subcutaneous area. You pull up the needle, plastic catheter stays in. Um, I've had some issues with it. I, I can't get it to not clog within or, or kink. Uh, the max, it usually lasts about three days. That's it. I've well, got to switch. Is that, is that's, that what, that's not a bad thing because three days is the recommendation. Is that You really shouldn't be changing about every three days. But then as a kid, uh, I feel like suck. I used to be able to wear them for weeks. It, and, and you could. It, it was it was a lot easier, um, and there's a lot, a lot of different. There's a lot of Jonathan different Stapleton is laughing in the background. Our audio guy. There's a lot like, of different what? factors Sorry. for it. So I mean, like me, I'm you know a furry guy. Okay, so there's hair on my body. So uh, whenever I'm yeah. trying to put in a pump site, I either have to shave an area oh or just my put it on top God. of the hair. Dude, and, I honestly never even thought about that. And with That's that, amazing. Ryan's not hairy. My my pump sites still stay in for you know pretty typical time about three days yep um but you know i'm used to this at this point changing every three days so <laughs> for me i mean that's kind of ideal that's that's what we shoot for but okay. i mean i've been guilty of leaving them in longer than that too where, oh, are, you, sure. where are your pump sites are they is everyone to, uh, told to do the same <laughs> things like in your classically recommended to use the abdomen yeah there's, correct there's, because there's, or your there's butt, four basic right? areas that you can use which okay. is your abdomen top of your thigh um kind of the love handle top of the butt area mm-hmm. and then the back of the, the arms the ghetto booty the, the back of the arms if you can get back there and reach it I know a lot of Jesus. kids that'll do it there in the arms yeah the arms God. yeah um, and I see a lot of I see a lot of women working out on Instagram with the Dexcom the the uh what's it Omnipod the Omnipod, Omnipod. Yep. Yeah. the That's mobile the, what's insulin the woman? delivery system what's the woman that we oh what did we We'll have to. Uh, we'll link her up. Yeah, because she that was her thing. We just talked about like, how It looks like there's a yeah. battery pack on the back of her arm, yeah. and mm-hmm. she rocks it. Yeah. yeah. So I, it, I mean, my my favorite place is the stomach, just because I mean it's it's mm-hmm. easy. It's right there. You, you don't have to go searching for it. Okay. Can you rank them by best absorption? So yeah. best absorption goes stomach is first. Um, I want to say that your arm is second. Okay. Um, your but I think it's third and your thigh is like the mm-hmm. worst. But at the same time, if you're exercising vigorously, mm-hmm. then if you put your pump site in your thigh, you're obviously going to absorb a lot more insulin. Sure. That oh, simply really? Because that okay. area is more active. Okay. Now here's my question and I'm not going to go into great detail, but you guys have very different body styles. So if you put the same pump style in, or you put same pump in your, in your stomach area, is it going to have the same absorption rate? I don't know if that's the right word, but. Man, I, for me, my, my pump sites are different each time I put one in, right. how well it absorbs. I mean, I, I have no idea. I can't predict if it's going to be the, good in the stomach, the thigh, the butt, whatever. It's the amount of fat time. in the area really doesn't play a huge huge part of it. I mean, it makes it harder to put pump sites in. So sure. for, for Ryan, who's got a lot less fat on his stomach, right. he's got to use that you know mm-hmm. kind of that angled one, and that's going to be a lot, probably a little bit easier for him than a ninety degree one would be. It, it kind of hurts. Right. Just yeah, because, it's kind of tough to put it in the stomach too. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for some of them, it's just dependent upon if you can get it into that kind of sweet spot. Yeah. Because um, yep. the general rule with people who are doing injections, at least used to be, now you don't have to because the pen needles and things like that are so short. Yeah. But oh, the rule okay. used to be was if you can pinch an inch, and what they were trying to do was just lift that subcutaneous tissue yeah. off the muscle so that you didn't accidentally inject that into it and you created what was just called a depot under the skin. So as long as you're creating a depot somewhere either in the fatty tissue or just mm-hmm. below it, then you're fine. Let me ask you too because with my Lantus injections, which I use the pen for Lantus and I use the actually syringe, I use the syringe for Novolog. I give the uh, Lantus on my hips and so I switch off between each 
and I have plenty of <laughs> fatty tissue in that area the, with the ghetto booty, but is there <laughs> something there? I mean, should I be thinking about, like you were talking earlier about, um, like fatty pockets or something like that. So with my high blood sugars for the past week, maybe that should have mm-hmm. been a consideration that maybe where I'm giving my Lantus injections that it's not, my body's not getting it. I mean, it, it could be that you're not absorbing it well because if those are the same areas that you used for a long period of time, what happens is the, the constant use of a needle or even just the buildup of, of insulin under there creates scar tissue in those areas. So if you're, if you're not someone mm-hmm. who rotates sites regularly, I mean, I'm rotating bun to bun. I mean, come on. Well, and it, 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 I mean, it can be as simple as that. But I have a friend who, you know, he looks like he has two golf balls under his skin oh. on his stomach oh, because Jesus, he used the same, the same areas spots. over and over for so long. Wow. I mean, he doesn't use those areas at all anymore because he can't. But if you have any kind of a scar tissue in an area, it's going to decrease absorption. And even if it's under the skin, and you can't see it. Well, and I so get, feeling around mm. for some of those little nodules and things sometimes can kind of help you out. And well, and I've had those determine. pockets too, and I've had a mm. deep tissue massage for my whole most of my mm. life because of athletic situations mm. and car accidents and things like that. And I remember specifically saying, "You're hurting me in this area," but I was happy that they actually broke down that tissue. And I'm curious mm. if breaking down that scar tissue. If that affected my blood sugar, I've a. researched this. Oh, uh, please, quite a bit actually, uh, because I've had insulin resistance issues because of using the same side areas a lot, and especially when I was on the Sure T, mm-hmm. the a different variety that's actually like a steel catheter that goes into the skin. Steel, mm-hmm. and it's just it's tiny. Ish. I mean, it's like it's like half a centimeter. You, you would think that it would be a lot more uncomfortable, but it's really not that. It doesn't. Bad. I, I never uh, feel it. Yeah, it's. What it's if you're allergic bad. to steel? Uh, you find out. Pretty quick. Okay, All go right, ahead. So, Sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, what I, I read some testimonials. This is, this is all anecdotal, so this is not evidence based. But what people will do is every time they take a site out, they will basically just give an extensive massage at the area of the site. And whenever they're in the shower, they will focus hot water on the area, massage oh, the yeah. site. And then as soon as they take it out, too, they'll also cover it neosporin and band aid it. Oh. And, and basically, and have those and actually do massages once per month on their hot spots and they say it's they take a, a remarkably less insulin than they did before and the people who do that and stick to that plan i think it works for i've never been able to find that plan and make it work because i've just been able to skirt by and be okay you haven't planned for it not in a bad way negative i mean not that's not a negative thing but your life has just not allowed you to have that type of i haven't had to do it yet either right i mean i haven't been i haven't experienced that much insulin resistance i'll always be desperate and switch to a different site at the last second you know right but if either one of you could start that regimen now to prevent would you do it no i don't i don't think i would either i mean i i i'll use any and every area on the body that i can from home side so if i've used an area pretty consistently and that's probably my stomach is probably the one that i overuse if anything stomach works best what i do is you know for two or three days i'll use my stomach and then i'll switch to you know my left hip and then i'll switch to my right hip and then i'll switch to either an arm or a leg or something like that for a day and then i'll go back to using my stomach for a few Mm -hmm. days but i try not to just continually abuse one area Okay, so going back it to it gets a little more we were, complicated too when you're wearing CGMs. Yeah, because sure. you, you got two things that all the time. You work on. Yeah, just a random question because I've, I don't think I've ever asked this before. So they, when I was a kid, told me you know give your shots in your thighs, your butt, your stomach, or your arms, and um, and then we're looking at all of the commercials that are out now that you can test your blood sugar on your foot or wherever you can get some blood. Yeah, whatever. Which to me sounds a little bit ridiculous. 
now that technology, I mean, can I give my shot anywhere else? I have no desire to. Don't get me wrong. Could I give it to my thigh, my boob? I mean, what can we do here? I don't know what the reality is with that. I've I've thought about it myself just because, I mean, the, the basic rule used to be if you can pinch an inch, you can yeah. give an injection. Yeah, I can pinch an inches on all kinds of places. Right. Um, I would I would say that those fatty areas are going to be the best areas just can because I they're going to be safest. bump my boobs up as well, yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know if certain areas would have different absorption rates or if they right. would, you know, if it would cause any issues or anything like right. that. I'm not sure. Um, but I've definitely <laughs> I've thought about it just, you know. We should do a diabetes so test study on that. Like, we should. Where would you like to? Like Everybody's not up, the same body. If you could. Yeah. <laughs> and this is some very basic elementary biochem, but <laughs> the cells that take up insulin in the body, the quickest are fat cells. Right. And so if you put it into a place that has a <laughs> high volume cheeks? of fat tissue, right. then you will absorb so much more insulin. And I know for sure that if whenever I put it in my stomach, it works a lot better because I just have so many more cells in that area than I do in my thigh. Just because your body's built to store adipose tissue right. in your midsection. So, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I mean, women's breasts are primarily fat tissue, so I don't see why it wouldn't work. It'd be a total I mean, nightmare. And it, it having bruised boobs would be awkward, but whatever we need to do. I you go for it and, <laughs> and report back. Hey, how about this? If there's a pharmaceutical company out there that wants me to be a test study, I will gladly sacrifice my two small breasts to see if insulin absorption would work. All right, pharmaceutical companies, you just heard that. You've got one willing <laughs> you go. volunteer. This is like the equivalent of what Angelina Jolie did. And, for? Uh, for prophylaxis yeah, of breast cancer. Prophylaxis. Oh, see, you're, yeah. see, you're doing this for diabetes, not for breast yeah. cancer. Yeah. It's high quality stuff. Yeah, All right, neat. so before we, we break with Kelly today, I think we could do this again sometime, by the way, yeah. so we'll have to look uh, back on this. Definitely. Show. No doubt. I've got one question for you. Okay. It's a pretty big one. Oh, I'm nervous. Are you ready? Okay. Does it bother you when people say the word diabetes? Um, I don't, have you ever heard of Kid President? I have. Yes! Okay. It's on our, one of our podcasts. So I was actually watching that video the other day with one of the other educators in there. We'll link this up in the show notes and, for sure. Um, I, I, she had never seen it, I guess. And I mean, it's a relative. I mean, I don't know how old the kid is now, but he's, I mean, that was probably during the last he presidential election. He was probably election. Eight, six or eight, yeah. Um, and I. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I, I grew up having diabetes, and you know, Wilf- Wilford Brimley was like our, you know, <laughs> yeah. sort of sort of a pop culture icon for, for he what is, you man. can expect it. Um, but you know, I, it had never really bothered me just because, for me, not a whole lot of people had said it. Because um, you're young. Yeah. Have you ever had a and professor say it? I've had a couple um, nursing teachers that did say it. Likewise, um, yep. and it wasn't really something that I, you know, bothered correcting them on. Um, I think the biggest thing that I actually corrected somebody on, and is it's something that kind of sort of bothers me, but doesn't at the same time, mm-hmm. um, which is the word diabetic. Um, right, right. I had a I had a class in example. nursing school. Well, I had a class in nursing school where it was called, you know, disability in nursing, mm. and we talk about different mm. types of disabilities and you know how you should refer to people dealing with certain things. Yes. So it's called person-first language, which would mean you would say that there is a person with this versus saying, you know, a diabetic. So a person with diabetes, basically just treating them like a person who's living with diabetes versus right. calling them the disease. Which right. honestly really didn't bother me until I'd heard, until I'd gone through that class and heard it, and then I actually heard my professor who got mad. Um, uh, I wasn't really mad, but you know, I had I there was like one thing in this entire thing that I said that wasn't person first, and then the next thing that she got up and started talking about was diabetic patients, 
And I just I saw just this complete irony of the fact uh, that that's what they're teaching, and then they're not even following it themselves. Right. Um, so it does and it doesn't bother me all at the same time. Um, I feel like with medical professionals, it bothers me more than just someone who says diabetic. You know, sure. if you're a medical professional and you pride yourself on being respectful to people who live with certain disabilities or certain disease processes, then the word diabetic shouldn't really be used right. um, in, in, in that context. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're talking to a patient, you're talking about you know, diabetic complications, or if you're just saying that they're a non-compliant diabetic, those are two different situations. Right. I mean, when you're, when you're you know, claiming that somebody is something, then it's, uh. it's, it's a much more harsh way to think of something. Whereas if you say the person with diabetes who you know, just really hasn't followed the, the regimen that I prescribed for them. Right. It's it's more of a mindset thing than anything, but I would say that would probably probably be my biggest thing that kind of bothers me. Ryan, yep. well, we uh, only in knowing Ryan uh, because I used to say I'm a diabetic. I mean, and I am technically, but he uh, changed the way that I thought about the fact that I'm someone that's living with diabetes because it does not define me as a person. Right. And no one ever gave me that language. And not that I ever thought about it, and it was never seen as a negative. Right, and neither had I until I started seeing it and seeing the way that it's viewed in the medical community. Right. When you you bring up a diabetic patient, I mean, there's a negative connotation with it versus when you're talking with someone who's who's a person living with diabetes. There are tons of people out there who have diabetes that live healthy lives and don't have complications and all that things. But the, the, the connotation in the medical community is that a diabetic patient is typically non-compliant and has right. complications and, you know, all these, all these other comorbidities that go along with it, which, you know, if you go to a camp setting and see kids with diabetes or if you, you know, just enjoy other people that have type 1 diabetes and you can see healthy people that live with diabetes, it's completely different. But it's got that kind of negative connotation in the medical community. Well, it is. A, it's, it's a powerful language tool to provide your patients with. Right. Because I think you frame their life in a completely different light. You are empowering the person from the get-go with words. Yeah. It's an incredibly, incredibly powerful gift to give somebody. And you say that, but and then as patients who have a diabetes diagnosis or people with the disease, you know, we obviously have the right to call ourselves diabetic if we want to, but I think we need to be mindful. Just be mindful of the way you're saying it. And if someone is offended by the use of you calling yourself a diabetic, I think we need to be open to maybe changing our habits some. Because yeah. I still say the word. I mean, it's and I've been actively working on it, too. Right. Um, I mean, it's a hard thing to change because it it's, it's not something that you've really ever put much thought into yep. before. And yep. then once you see it, you know, it, it starts to click. But, I mean, at the same time, I, I still say it on occasion. Sure. But I, I try to kind of put myself in that mindset of not thinking of it that way. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. Well, and Ryan, yeah. can I throw one thing out? And Kelly, because of your, just your recent comment, um, could we... As we start to end this podcast, I would like as we are. I know that you've been very engaged in a number of diabetes camps. Is that the word? Diabetes camps. That's right. Camps for children with di or people with that are, have di- diabetes. Now I'm worried about the PC. We're gonna have to start doing drills. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to find what, the right language. Okay, so what I would like if you were to give right now a just a one sentence. Word of uh, piece of advice to someone at any age, because you have lived with type one diabetes, what would it be? I would say my biggest piece of advice would just simply to be involved in the community. 
know others around you that have it. Try to seek out other people with diabetes. It's just so that you can have someone to rely on, someone to talk to. That's a good one. Um, just, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing that's kept me engaged and kept me, um, you know, active in diabetes is that mm. I, not only do I work it, but I live it and I enjoy it. So, you know, for me, just get out there and be a part of the diabetes community. And the diabetes community is lucky to have you because you're obviously very engaged and, and very honest. Appreciate it. <laughs> Ryan, what's your story? Agreed. I absolutely love what you had to say, Kelly. And I appreciate you joining the show. No, but what's, your, what's your word to, what would be Ooh. your I think my my advice would be um, to be flexible. Um, don't get locked in to certain ways of doing things because every time you feel like things are going well, it's going to change. Right. Your blood sugar is going to be high again. Right. And to know that the grind never stops. It continues on forever. And just to be okay with uncertainty and to know you're not going to be perfect every day and to give yourself a little bit of a break. Because the guilt trips we put ourselves on are dangerous things. And you talked about the importance of the mental aspect of the disease. And it cannot be undersold. How important it is just to give yourself a break every once in a while. Definitely. Say, you know what? You're high right now. It's not where I want to be. But I can sense right now a little bit of anger coming in towards myself. And I'm 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 just going to try to let go of that. And that's where I would start. A little bit of flexibility and release. It's tough. Well, and for me, just like a piggyback off of what Ryan said is no guilt and no shame is that as I mentioned 75,000 times in this is that I never talked about the disease I didn't have the support community and I never sought it out and I don't think my parents knew that I needed it so for me the guilt and shame we all go through things that and I feel like the life struggles and like we and we were saying that the different phases of your life and everybody's going through serious things and the diabetes in my life was way more um, a factor that I'd never recognized. And only in the past two years have I reflected on those years and thought, wow. And again, no guilt and shame. I release that. I let it go. And now I can understand. And hopefully through this process of all of us sharing our stories, we'll save a couple of fellow diabetics (laughs) <laughs> people living with diabetes there we go, <laughs> there we go. Um, the, 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 the hard times so good stuff guys it's awesome yeah. I appreciate y'all having me today oh man yeah Kelly we'll so do it again excited. sounds good we will do it again all right man we're gonna follow, I Thank feel you. like our future podcast is gonna be a podcast is gonna be all about diabetes camp as we can talk about some camp life. You're going to go to camp. You've I been bet. a camp counselor. You've been a camper. Ryan and I are about to be a part of a camp that's a pilot situation, which we won't tap into, but it'll be really exciting to, Indeed. in a couple of months. Yeah, we could do another one in a couple of months. Camp comparison. Two camps that I got to go to for, for kids with type 1 diabetes <laughs> over the next couple of months. So it's a lot of fun. We'll, we'll do an intro with Kumbaya. Kumbaya. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good week. Hey, Amber, uh, did you know we do an iTunes review contest every week? <laughs> did you know we're actually sending people sweet DDG t-shirts for winning? Ryan, did you know that some people are actually responding to these things? And I'm super excited when we have the opportunity to read something from someone we don't know. Does it 
Does anything in life make you happier than reading an iTunes review? Um, tw- um, yeah, actually, when somebody sends us a message on Facebook or Twitter or sends, uh, signs up for our newsletter. I mean, oh, these are, these are very good things. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Thank Comments you. from the people that we don't know or that are not a part of our family is key. Okay. Well, I'm just, yeah, I'm glad you know. I wanted to make sure that you knew that these <laughs> things were available. All right. And with that in mind, we have a winner Woo! of the iTunes Best Review of the Week. Okay. And this one comes from... Is it your cousin? This does not look... I do not have a cousin named John. <laughs> so we know for sure this is not a family member. It does, it's not Kelly either. All right. So this is it. It's from SK John 8 This is from May 22nd. And the title was, Love It! Exclamation point. Fun and informative. Exclamation point. Oh. Yeah. And as far as I know, this isn't Jonathan Stapleton either. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Thanks, was man. it? Yeah, thank you for validation. Jonathan's shaking his head, making sure that we know that. That it's was not just him. the title. So we have a we have a, a good review to read. Okay, please do. Great show. I've listened to every episode so far and have smiled and laughed and nodded my way through each of them. <laughs> it's a great mix of good information, real life diabetes, and how to mix the two. In parentheses, we don't live in a classroom or diabetes manual, right? It's just as the title describes, real life diabetes. I'm always looking forward to the next episode. Thank you. Uh-huh. That makes my heart very happy. Isn't that pretty cool? I had not read that. So, so yeah, SK John, you're the man. Thank you. If this is you, get in touch with us. Send us an email at info at diabetesdailygrind.com so we can send you a shirt. All right, so if you'd like to hear us talk, we love it when people surprise, actually surprise us, yes, and subscribe on iTunes. It's easily, especially if you download the podcast app on your iPhone, then search Real Life Diabetes Podcast in the app. Really simple. Hit subscribe. You've got us forever stalking you on your phone. And if you're someone in their 60s who doesn't really understand the whole process here, when you are, if you're a fan of, a, of ours on Facebook, you click on things, you really can play the podcast through that same thing. So just be diligent and uh, take some time to click through Absolutely. Yeah, a couple you can just of things. You can listen to it on our website. Absolutely. Straight from our website. And again, all those Amazon clicks, huge help for us right now. That's helping us keep the whole thing going. Yeah. Just click on the right side of the banner at diabetesdaythegrind.com before you purchase. Like I mentioned in the intro, some people even save it as a favorite once they've clicked. That's a good call. All right. So today, Kelly was a pretty cool guy. He lives with a lot of passion. He loves diabetes, truly. He said that. We got mad respect yeah. for that guy. If you'd like to get in touch with him, you can follow him on Twitter at... W K McKeever and Spell check him that. out. Spell that. Okay, so W K M C K E E V E R. Check him out. He's a good read. He's always tweeting diabetes information, uh, recent tech stuff, interesting experiences. And I think that he did a wonderful job today of saying, as a diabetes educator, what textbook is versus real life. Agreed. I like and that distinction. Is it going to be a great bridge for a lot of people? Oh, totally. Yep. Check him out. So, all right. Time Yay! for us to all go out and live our authentic lives with diabetes. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys, to all the highs and lows. Appreciate it. See ya. <laughs>